Warning. Explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast. In this episode, Jay and I sit down in the barn with our friend Swedish Fred, also known as Fred Maton. Fred is a college professor, author, world traveler. He's born in Sweden. He's traveled all over the world, and he does jujitsu. So we talk about a ton of stuff. If you want to learn more about Fred, you should check out this other podcast we do, Stray the Course, Episode 2, Season 2. We'll put a link up for you to check it out. But as always, this podcast is brought to you by the Tortuga Soap Company. Everything you need to keep you smelling good, tortugasoap.com. Enter the discount code PODCAST and get 20% off your order. Also brought to you by BJJ Prehab. Custom videos designed to help you prevent injuries and keep you on the mat. If you enter the discount code TORTUGA, you'll get your first month free. If you need some jewelry, check out beautytobeast.etsy.com. Enter the discount code RIDDLER and get 10% off your order. In Port City BJJ, home of the Great Northeast BJJ podcast, make sure you check us out. Also, huge shout out to BJJ in Paradise. It's going to be another camp in October. You should definitely check that out. And Take Down Nation, one of our favorite humans on this earth. Make sure you check out our buddy Eric. As always, thanks everybody for listening. We appreciate the support. And we wish you all good training. Peace. recording <laughs> all right we're, it's perfect timing riddler's leaving and we are recording a good show man we're back in the barn riddler's going to do some rock and roll first time in a long time first time in a long time so time. before we get to our, one of our esteemed guests the real professor yes in the house right let's talk about today even though when this you people listen to this it will not be the same day it'll be a different day today right now where we are in this dimension is Mother's Day. Happy birthday to all you mothers. No, wait, that's wrong. Totally wrong. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day to my wife, Amanda. <laughs> Thank you. The best mother ever. What the hell is that supposed to mean? Your mother's awesome. <laughs> Fred, your mother doesn't count because she's in Sweden. And, and it's, it's not Mother's Day in Sweden. It's a different not, day. No. It does. No. That counts. Andrea would like to say... <laughs> Happy Mother's Day? Yes. <laughs> um, so I'd like to wish a happy Mother's Day to my mother who's in Florida right oh. now. Um, she's with my dad. They're coming home next week, so I'm going to see them next weekend for the first time in two months, which is awesome. And uh, my mother is the like, I did so much bad things when I was younger. And I could do no wrong in my mother's eyes, and she would defend me right or wrong no matter what. So I love my mom very much, and she may never hear this because if she hears my podcast, she would probably disown me. But happy Mother's Day. Yeah, happy Mother's Day, Mom Mansfield. Yeah. Yep. How do you say happy Mother's Day in Sweden? Is there a term uh, for this? Moose dog. Moose dog. Yeah. Wow, got, they got should think of something down. different. <laughs> 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 Those are the words for mothers and day in Swedish. So, you know. how about uh, in 
Afghan. <laughs> I, <laughs> about Farsi. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't speak Farsi. What the heck? <laughs> I, you know what? You're off the podcast. <laughs> you know what? So let me just introduce our one of our guests here, Swedish Fred. Swedish Fred. Swedish Fred Maiden went to Oxford. I don't wow, know. Wow, in London? Yeah, or outside of London. London. Outside uh, of London. It's not in yeah. London. Yeah, no, no. That's a serious school. That's Dude. like the the Harvard of England. Or English England. people would say that Harvard is the Oxford of the States, right? That's right, yeah. I think that is the correct way of <laughs> No. <laughs> this is in, in America it's not correct, okay? Yeah. Because so and we're in America, yeah. so I've heard that the, uh, what you do over here is you you wash the facades of your old universities in acid to make them look a little more <laughs> a little older, so that they'll have more of an Oxford air to them. You know what's funny about that is that I once got in, into a very heated discussion with some Italian gentlemen in Rome, and their uh, argument was the restaurant that we're eating at is older than your country, and I had no answers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, just, I tell my students often that uh, my grandmother's furniture is older than your country, all of them. <laughs> and it's and it's true. No, it's true. She likes uh, or liked. She she passed, but she liked old furniture a lot. So how old was her furniture? It's hundreds of years old. You know. <laughs> so no, we're neck know. we're neck and neck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were they were all made in 1775. Wow, that is amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a year, yeah. Mm-hmm. a year before <laughs> uh, countryhood. Yeah. Have you ever seen the movie Oxford Blues? No. Great movie with Rob Lowe. From the 80s, um, where I believe somehow he ends up, it's your typical 80s movie where he ends up like over there rowing. Um, mm. That's yeah. one would. That's know. pretty much the only, that's my only barometer of Oxfordness until I met you. <laughs> and that's why I'm so obsessed with it. Uh, see, all you need to do is watch uh, Van Wilder, The Rise of Taj, and that will tell you all you need to know about English uh, higher education. Ah. Uh. I think what you need to do is watch uh, Brideshead Revisited. That's okay. a that's a novel, but it's a movie also. I think it's like the Oxford story. All right, I'm gonna check it so out. So, what did oh. you go to Oxford for? Was that uh, for your for your PhD or? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, I went to do a master's in Middle East studies, uh, and then I stayed on for the PhD, and then I left to actually do my PhD at NYU. Um, wow, yeah, that is crazy. So, the religion I was going to bring up. Which is, I think it's called Zoroastrianism. Yeah, Zoroastrianism. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. What is this? It's a religion in India, but it really resembles Catholicism in like a lot of different ways. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's a you know a single higher power, right and wrong, like go to heaven or hell, that type of thing. Like. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it has that clear, like very clear division, right, between good and evil, and uh, everything in existence is a struggle between those two, right? Right. I think, yeah. But it's a very one? small percentage in, in India of people that are... I met one of these guys. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he was, just, you know, appeared just like any other Indian person, except um, a lot of the folks that I work with, they have, you know, uh, you know, you can clearly identify a Sikh, you know what I mean? Or, you no. know what I mean? So he didn't have any of that stuff. And None of the trappings of Sikhness. Right. Well, technically speaking, a Sikh is, you know how they have like bracelets and rings? That's a modern uh, interpretation of carrying like swords and stuff. Uh, oh, I didn't know because that. Cool. obviously that wouldn't be cool. But if you're a Sikh, <laughs> you're like a, a higher, like a warrior class, higher order, 
and you're supposed to carry a sword, technically speaking. Uh, at all times. Yes. Yeah. So that's why they wear the, 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 a lot of the jewelry is a representation of that stuff. Huh. What is the religion of Sweden? Um, uh, Protestantism. Yeah. We are, I mean, pretty much every, yeah, pretty much everyone is a Protestant. But in, in this weird way where um, I tell people now, I'm traveling back to Sweden on Tuesday, actually, to attend my... After class, of course. After class, yeah. <laughs> um, my, uh, my niece's, uh, no, sorry, my nephew's baptism. Uh, and it sounds like this religious thing. And like, why would I travel halfway around the world to attend it? But it's because everyone in Sweden is a Protestant, uh, but no one is actually religious. So the the rituals are super important. Christmas is important and all that stuff. But but no one actually believes in <laughs> in in God anymore. But we we sort of adhere to all these uh, um, traditions. Like uh, I think I might be Swedish. Yeah. Because I'm Protestant and don't buy into any of that bullshit. No. And, but I like Christmas a whole lot. I, me too. Yeah, I'm into the gifts. Oddly enough, <laughs> in the chronology of podcasts, that hasn't come out yet, but coming out bef- before this one is the episode I recorded with Swedish Steve from Cyprus. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, so. What were you doing? Where, where were you? Like, where was I during you were all gone. this? Was I just you drinking margaritas? And no, I think you left. Before. This was after? The Swedish Steve episode, I think, was the last night we, before the big dinner. We are going to, it's uh, Poseidon, right? Poseidon. PJJ? Stockholm. Fred's going. Yeah, I'm going to go. In a week. Yeah. Yep. And you're fr- are you going to go train with him? Yeah, I think so. Awesome. Yeah. You're from Stockholm originally, right? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. The first time I trained jiu-jitsu was uh, at a gym in Stockholm, which is actually awesome. They're, they're called uh, Prana, uh, and they have some really, really good guys there. Um, yeah, really serious. Nice. Very cool. Um, yeah. Well, you'll find that Swedish Steve is also pretty serious. He is. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I heard it, and I'm excited to go train there. Yep, yes. Very nice guy. You know? So his gym is a nice, it's nice. He has a cafe in the gym with good. the finest, he told me it was the finest Coffee in Stockholm. <laughs> wow. Italian coffee. Wow. Finest of Italian coffees, according wow. to Swedish Steve, who's mm. originally from, I mean, actually, not originally. I'm not, I forget. He's Greek. Uh, he's Greek. He, well, he's from Cyprus, which is different from Greece, though. Yep. Um, right. But he also grew up in London. Yep. Cyprus is, 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 is like uh, Cyprian, I think they call it. Yeah. They're different from Greeks in that they don't get naked and boil up and wrestle with each other, just like us Protestants are different right. from you Catholics because we don't touch You're children. You're not Irish? Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> wow. wow. <laughs> That's pretty hardcore. Yeah. So the first time you trained Jiu-Jitsu funny it's true. was... <laughs> I, you know... I didn't make it to the. I was baptized, but I was never. I never made the next step. Mm. The confirmation. I don't think I was confirmed. <laughs> you, you you peaked at, at baptism. baptism. <laughs> I think I peaked at baptism. I was, did not. I don't think I made it to the confirmation. I wasn't confirmed either. Yeah. And my grandfather was a, a priest or a minister. Ah. Wow! So he baptized me, and then they were a little disappointed when I didn't uh, mm. do the whole confirmation thing. So your first time doing jujitsu was in Sweden. Yeah. For some reason I thought it was in the Middle East, no? Give me no. give me a year here. Like this is 2013 and okay. uh I was in Stockholm over the summer in 2013 and I um had been wanting to try jujitsu and I had time and I went to this gym 
and I got beat up day in and day out. It was fun. So, yeah. But I uh, I was only there for a few weeks, and then I went back to New York, and I, that's where I kind of started uh, training kind of regularly. Cool. And what, uh, what academy did you find in New York? Uh, I trained under this guy, uh, Jukau, um, who is a Carlos Gracie black belt. Okay. Um, yeah, he was uh, very good and a very nice guy. So was it a Gracie Baja school? It wasn't. Okay. Um, no. Um, I don't know where what he's affiliated with. When I started, it was just that gym and one other one. And now I think his kind of empire is spreading all throughout uh, the tri-state area. So there are myriad uh, Jukau gyms now. I'm, I'm amazed by that in New York. There's so much competition. Yeah. And so these guys are able to open new gyms all the time. And spread. I mean, I know there's a huge population, but right. still, there must be 20 schools in Metro New York. Yeah, probably. Yeah, and high level schools high, too. Right? Very high yeah. level. You know, and then there's Long Island and and you know surrounding areas, and there's tons and tons and tons of high level jujitsu. Yeah. Um, but then again, you think about around here, there's, you know, one. <laughs> right. <laughs> No, but there's now uh, you know four or five jujitsu schools within twenty miles of here. Yeah, yeah. You know, and up in Maine, there are good schools, and then obviously down Boston side. Yep, which is cool. Yep. So this is the first podcast we've been on. Look at the hairdo. Look at the hairdo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. hairdo. Rock and roll hair. Let them brush. Are you singing backup for hair. Robert Palmer? <laughs> Simply irresistible. Do you have the, is the dress in the backpack? <laughs> this is the first podcast I think we've done. Well, not really. The Riddler's Wait. heading to a show in uh, White River Junction tonight. Name of the band? The Mammals. The Mammals. The Mammals. So check them out. Look them up. My main man's on the keyboards and yeah. backup vocals for lead singer Robert Palmer. Yeah. Dressed all in black. <laughs> Looking good. Yeah. I mean, the lipstick's a little much, but... <laughs> I don't think I think it's a night adds a nice touch. I think so too. Mm-hmm. So Pan Am silver medalist Jay Mansfield. Oh yeah. wow! Black belt. What? We haven't talked about this. <laughs> we we, we have distracted. <laughs> my my first time experiencing rape. Oh, <laughs> the finals. The finals was rough. Mm. You know what's yeah. funny is like uh, Mike and I spent uh, you know a lot of time kind of researching the first couple rounds and we didn't spend a ton of time going into day two which was semifinals and finals and uh, so I literally had not taken a very close look at Lucio and <laughs> that was a big mistake well it, it probably wouldn't have mattered right. uh, I mean he's a three time world champion Abu Dhabi champion just finished European national champion uh, obviously Pan Am champion now like you know, he's beaten everybody. He beat Clark Gracie. Like, you know, I mean, this guy is, it was like trying to grapple a silverback gorilla. Yeah. You were mentioning that thing that um, the his hands were just huge. Huge. I, that, that's the most intimidating thing in jiu-jitsu. When I, you're, you're up against someone and their hands are enormous, then you know you're going to get beat. <laughs> right. You feel that, like, whether they grab your uniform or, or it's like the slap hands in the yeah. beginning. I felt like I was slapping hands with a catcher's mitt. <laughs> And I remember we slapped, and instantaneously my brain was like, bump him hard so he doesn't think you're a pussy. <laughs> because his hand came in, you know, he did the, like the peace over power style. Right. <laughs> and uh, I feel like his hand eclipsed the sun. Mm. And I was like, oh, here we go. 
And I had, I had set up that daily Heva guard with and passed off the sleeve underneath the leg like I usually do into my left hand, which is my stronger grip. Nobody gets rid of that grip. Didn't even phase him. Didn't even phase him. He just kind of shrugged and ripped the grip off, and the next thing I knew, he was on my back. <laughs> he scoffed oh. at your grip, dude. He <laughs> scoffed in a very Brazilian-slash-English way now. Mm. Had some tea. But, <laughs> some uh, biscuits. Pretty, pretty amazing experience. Um, it's obviously uh, a really great experience. Like, I ended up, you know, the semifinals and the finals were on Met 1, which is a really awesome spot because everybody is crowded around the mats. The mats are packed and there's like people pouring over the, the fence there kind of just watching what's happening on mat one. And, uh, Brian Marvin was there, uh, even though he had torn his ACL terribly the day before. And that was like kind of a, like a really inspiring moment. And I think what happened to me is that I was emotionally invested in the moment of, being in the finals at Pan Ams and not emotionally invested in what was going to happen in my match. Mm. It's like anything else when you, like any role where you say, man, everything happened so fast. You know what I mean? And that's usually an indication that you weren't in the moment with the match. Yeah. You know what I mean? Everything happened too fast because you weren't in the moment and you weren't, which happens to me really easily. I remember uh, when I was in high school, I ran indoor track and I made it to the finals of the indoor states and my girlfriend of the time was there um, with her dad and my brother was there who was like my inspiration to to run in the first place, to, to run high hurdles in the first place. And so I was like really nervous about it and I was in the blocks thinking about them. And they said, go. I came out, I stumbled. I came over the first hurdle with the wrong lead leg. Like obviously, the, the but this happens very easily to me mm, for yeah. me not to be focused um, and I kind of think that's what happened, but I'm looking forward to having a, another option at this guy, but I, I was super stoked. I'm, it's bittersweet, right? Like nobody likes to lose, but it was a really good experience. And I'm, I was happy for me and for port city, like to establish ourselves and to show that our jujitsu is awesome. To be fair, you did a lot of winning before right. you did any losing. Right. <laughs> you just went straight for the, the loss, but right. obviously, yeah. You got to second place, which means you beat a lot of guys who are really good. They were all really good. Yeah, yeah. And only one guy in the entire division, in the like of all the people that I fought, only one guy was smaller than me. Everybody else was bigger. Yeah, which is not normal for me. Do you feel like you're as good competing uh, as you are rolling on a regular Tuesday? Uh, it it is getting more like that. Mm. I've always been able to kind of show a little more of my jujitsu in competition than I think a lot of people experience. They say like, you know, like if, you know, you'll hear a lot of people say that like, oh, my day-to-day rolling, I probably beat that guy in the academy 10 times out of 10. You hear that a lot. And it's not an egotistical thing for that person. They're just, they're actually showing their, 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 what they're trying to say is like competition makes me not be able to show my true self. And competing more and more will highlight, like will, will bring that out and you'll be able to roll better. But I've always felt like I'm pretty close to mm. being able to be me. Yeah. Um, but there's a guy that we came up with, Steve Medina, who would be like 120 percent 
of his academy yeah. self. And that I was always jealous at, at, the, at the ability of people like that to rise to the situation and actually be better than they ever would be. Yeah. I, I know some people like that in the uh, gym I trained at in Chicago before coming here who are just who just turned some um, switch on in their head when they got on the mat in a competition setting and they were so good. And like I would, you know, I would beat them in the gym, but I would never beat them in competition. I just like that's a whole different. What would level. you rather have? I would rather be better in rolling and training. I think just because that's what you do most of the time, right. anyway. Uh, but but I wish I uh, I feel like I when I've competed, I'm I'm competing with like twenty percent of the jujitsu I have or something like that at best. I'm clumsy and stiff and not creative at all. And, and you won't let it go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just hang on and then <laughs> until it's way too late and all that stuff. Right. Yeah. Something in the last couple months has changed in Swedish Fred though. He's now a different He's a different animal altogether. Right? <laughs> like trying to roll with you like it it's a completely different scenario. Your jujitsu was good before. Like you always um you always have to show up for the role and be mindful of the jujitsu and pay very close attention to what you're doing or else you would get choked. But now uh you're making things happen as opposed to trying to like it to entrap people, you're 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 causing situations in which the person makes mistakes, and I can feel it in your jujitsu, and it's really dangerous right now. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to be less passive and less lazy, <laughs> also. Right. Um, yeah. So that's made a difference. Um, you know. What's the? Do you think you'll compete again? Or I'd like to. Yeah. Um, there's a grappling industries right at the end of June. Yeah, I get back on June 26th, and this is on the 29th or 30th or something. Ooh. But I'm thinking maybe I should just sign up and do it and try and get on a few competitions from then on out. Well, th- there's a couple of really nice things about that. A is that you will have been home training with people that you don't know. Yeah, and you don't know their styles, so it's yeah. actually really good competition training because you're not rolling with the same people every day. Yeah, uh, you're still going to experience some, you know, jet lag and things like that. But I think it's a really good idea. And there's this nice little tournament at the end of August. Worlds. Worlds, yeah. <laughs> yeah. In, in uh, Las Vegas. Yeah. Is, you should think about it. It'll be fun. Yeah, it could be cool, actually. Yeah, and I, I have other, other friends who are going there, too. Um, and I've heard that Worlds is the best, like the best organized and run and everything. It's like such a pleasure to compete in. But I also feel like I will get crushed. So... There's that to consider. Uh, I don't know. I think I think you could do well. I think mm. you could do really well. Um, I mean, it would definitely be your. We'd be we'd be hanging on if if that's hanging on by a thread, letting you. Yeah, go to know. August as a blue belt. Oh, no, you can't. No, 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 you can't. <laughs> so, I think that August nineteenth, maybe. Uh, no. <laughs> um, when is Worlds? I think it's the weekend. I, I know it's the weekend of August 20th, and it's really is weird it? because yeah. there's Master Worlds, there is uh, the Vegas Open, then there is the, uh, a, I think, some kind of novice, American National Novice Open. And so there's like three tournaments in the course of a week from the same location put uh-huh. on by the IBJJF. So it's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. That's cool. And I, yeah, so there's a lot of jujitsu there. And I, like, I think, you know, as those regional opens, like the Vegas Open or the Boston Open or the Miami Open, that kind of thing, 
this will probably be the toughest regional open yeah. because everyone that's there for Master Worlds will be like, well, why don't why I not? just stay yeah. and compete in this too? Yeah. Are you going to do it? I'm going to do All Master them? Worlds, yeah. But uh, Vegas open too? Probably not. Yeah. Probably not. Um, I'm My brain doesn't work that way. It's like the uh, the absolute. Like once I'm done with my division, I'm done. Yeah. Like I can't, it's hard for me to get my brain back and yeah. be engaged and start fresh again and clear the slate. So plus it's Vegas. Right. <laughs> That's me. So even though it's not my favorite place on the planet, you kind of, you know, when in Rome. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of belts, um, Jay's been asking like, you know, what does black belt mean? I'm curious actually as to a dude that's a blue belt, like what does blue belt mean to you? Like what, and, and what do you think purple belt, like what does purple belt mean to you? Not in a sense of like, you know, just like what you think about it, Fred. That's a good question. A blue belt is like the only belt I know. Right. I, I went from, from white to blue pretty quickly and then I was a terrible blue belt uh, and then it was like a decent blue belt uh, for a long time after that. I don't know what purple is. Purple is just, I, I don't know... I have no idea. It's it's also this kind of middle belt where you can meet a purple belt that kind of sucks and you can meet a purple belt that's a real threat to a black belt and you never know. It's For this sure. kind of, um, yeah. Uh, so I, I don't really know. Okay. It's definitely it's definitely the belt where someone has a distinctive style, right? At the For blue, sure. like trying all kinds of things. Purple, they're like making a certain game work for them. Maybe. Right. It is. I mean, you have a feel for what your game looks like now, but I do think Purple Belt is kind of the cementing of who you're going to be as a jujitsu athlete and as a practitioner. You know what I mean? You kind of, and part of it is that you have a lot of time to do it. You know what I mean? You're in Purple Belt for a a long time. And I think that's, it's a real, it's not developmental in in the fundamental sense of your jujitsu. It's developmental as to your strategy and how your game works. And you take, you know, this concept of like, oh, I have this 20 or 25% of stuff that I really like to do. And now you, you extrapolate that and it becomes, you know, this much larger game. But I, it was my favorite belt, I think. Purple belt? Purple belt. Yeah. It's the best. We also have to acknowledge, I mean, there, there are two huge accomplishments here, right? Uh, one is Jay uh, taking silver. One is George taking a black belt. Right. Uh, the Fashion Preda. Yeah. I mean, we've talked a lot about it on the podcast because it happened like, but it's interesting now a month later, you know, I have the nice position of like, I got the black belt in Mexico um, and then I had to like, yeah, and I got, I got weird in my head for a little bit. I was like, whoa, like, holy crap, like for a couple hours. And luckily though, I had to jump in and train with all these other black belts like 10 minutes later. 10 minutes later, you know what I mean? <laughs> so it was like, all right, cool. As soon as I started training with other people, I felt better. And then like, so I trained with all these tough people. And then like, we came back and then I did it again back here. And then I went to Black Belts for Butterflies and like trained with all black belts and brown belts on the Friday night before. And, but to, and then on Saturday morning when we started the seminar, whew, it's, you know, everyone, we line up. Right, and it's all the black belts stand in the front, and George was out with the black belts. That's the thing, mm-hmm. and people calling him 
your your now your only name, which is the professor. <laughs> uh, so that's a thing for sure. But I'm glad, like, uh, I I got to like jump right into the fire, you know, because like I don't know, you get the black like I get the black belt, and I got a little weird in my head for a little bit. Like, whoa, like uh, it's got to mess with your head, yeah, in a big it way. Um, uh, and but then like. I've I've rolled with so many savage, and then I went up to Katie and rolled with Pell. You know what I mean? And had a war. <laughs> we <laughs> talked about it yesterday. Yeah, what did he say? Yeah, he was like, it, I had it, he like he said he came at you like with that, like all everything he had as a means of like a, like we were talking about earlier, actually, like as a baptism. Right, right. You know what I mean? Like welcome yeah. to black belt. Right. There's been a little bit of that, you know, but it's good. So I'm glad like all that's happened. Right. So I went to war with Pell, and he's a beast. That dude's a beast. He's a super elite black belt. He yeah. is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was good. Like, and I was like, all right. And now, like, you know, I feel feel good about it for sure. But on some level, though, we 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 talk about all these belts, and and this feels particularly true when we train every night. Like, particularly like on Thursday nights, the the belt's not helping me at all. None. Like this past Thursday was, I was like, holy shit! Like, look around the room. Yeah. Like there is not an easy role in this room at no. all. You know what I mean? Every mm-hmm. room, like every role, is going to be tough. You know, we did, we rolled for ninety minutes on Tuesday, and that was a, a room <laughs> a full of night. savages. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like how are you like so? As a black belt, you know we're all older guys. As far as what the room looks like, you know what I mean. Regardless of your belt. Going from, you know, Gary to Greg to Jameson, you know, to Andy to Zach and to all the, like all of those, like, and you guys included having to like walk, go through the line and be like, man, I'm tired from that last role. And now I got, now I got six minutes to trying to like fight off Fred. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. no, not Gary. That's, that's always my thought. <laughs> oh no <laughs> you like look down the line it's like yep it's all right that's happening <laughs> so th- that thursday night fred and i we were first up and we, oh yeah we had a b- war it was a war yeah. worm guard war nice and i was so tired after that roll that i just uh, i everyone else just steamrolled me after i i couldn't lift my arms <laughs> i wanted it so bad you invested in that role yeah yeah so, but it was worth it, as I said to George later. Yeah, yeah. He, he drained my life force. Out of me. <laughs> Those are the greatest roles ever. You know, you almost wish that, uh, you know, like a like a like a Sunday open mat type thing. You can have those roles and then rest, and then try to do it again. Yeah. Because those roles are very very taxing, and it's it's a lot. It's mental. It's spiritual. It's it's strategic. It's physical. Obviously. You know what I mean? Everything is tired at the end of that because you're trying to think at the, like everything is on a razor's edge, right? Yeah. So you feel like the guy could be, and I'm just creating an example here, but the guy could be feeling like we are on the 5% here of this role, like where if he takes this 5%, he's going to pass. And if I take this 5%, then I remain in control from the bottom. Yeah. And it's fighting for that 5%. So someone that's looking on might say there's not that much going on. But there's a lot going on. Yeah. You know, it's the struggle for power. Yeah. The will to power, as Nietzsche said. Right. Uh, but like George is so fast, too. So I'm also having to, if I think at my normal speed, my normal jujitsu uh, thinking speed, he will be past. 
So I'm also having to sort of try and figure out what he's going to do much, much faster. So I'm kind of trying to run these calculations also. It, it really is like the kind of a mental, the spiritual exhaustion too at the end of it. Right. The thing about- and then he chokes me in the end anyway. So, <laughs> you know. Yeah, well, you choked me today. So let's <laughs> <laughs> not forget this morning at 9.30. Right, yeah. when Thank you, Coach my- James DeLuca. Yeah. Oh, nice. Which choke did you get? Uh, the feeding the lapel over... From half guard? Uh, from um, close guard. Nice. Yeah. Like a- Coach has been uh, coaching me in how to defeat George. That is, uh, I told I told court Coach that was my goal in life, and he got right on board, and he's <laughs> showing me techniques. Guys are a bunch of assholes. <laughs> he's like, everybody's all on the bus. Like, oh, yeah, let's oh, yeah. do it. The Riddler, like, telling, oh, I'm training everybody to take you down, Jay. And yeah. I'm like, why? Like, what did I do wrong? Like, what, what did I do to invite this kind of, you know, the, stop your hate? The thing that's changed in Fred and I's roles is that before... I could make mistakes and I'd be all right. Like I could make a mistake and like then I could recover. Now when I make a mistake, it's not all right. No. And I'm like, oh God, like that. I, now I gotta really like suffer and like hope that he makes a mistake. And then if he makes a mistake and then I get out, then I make him pay. That razor's but. edge. I feel like I've been on the razor's edge with in, in our roles for for a while when we roll it seems like a lot of different things can happen and we're much different sized people but when we when it's a strategic and technical battle you know what i mean and we're going after different things i feel a lot slipping away and that uh panic to kind of regain control of the role and and, and reestablish a connection with you so that i can like feel what you're doing because you take things away Frequently and often, and you're Good. like, it's it's a real battle. You know what I mean? Like in in the sense, yeah. like a strategic battle where you're trying to take away my weapons, mm-hmm. yeah. and it's not just a brute force, you know, butting heads type thing. You're taking away weapons. You know yeah. what I mean? Like like yeah. a, like a true strategist, and it, <laughs> like that, and it yeah. makes the role very difficult. Yeah, because mm. you're disarming me. Yeah, I ho- yeah I hope so. I mean. I get tapped by you like seven times in each roll, but but I, I do on occasion. Uh, but that's that that that's like a byproduct, uh, n- n- not the result. Right. It's a byproduct of the role. Like we're gonna find positions, and like ultimately, you know, if I'm you know if I establish a good call, like like the same grip you're talking about from the close guard, mm-hmm. where now I can hang two hundred and ten pounds off of you. Right. You yeah. know what I mean? Even if I'm not, I'm not using strength but i'm like how do i not use my size in that situation yeah. like what am i supposed to become magically lighter yeah. so those situations are going to happen uh and so taps will result from that because <laughs> the great size difference that we have right. um but the battle and the, the street like that's just a byproduct of of what the, was happening in the role which is very different yeah yeah I, I mean i like that kind of rolling for sure when you when you when people are being strategic like that yeah it's, it's fun I and and it's also I also don't do well with people who aren't strategic. I like I lose to them uh because they physical are physical monsters. Yeah, the people who rely on their athleticism. I'm just like, okay, I don't I don't know. It's uh I want to be able to beat those guys too, but that's like my Achilles heel. I do much better against guys when I'm, you know, we're trying both to be strategic. Uh I feel like I think you'll find that the and you're like well on the road to this point, you're probably experiencing it with the same people that you train with that you establish that level of strategy and it results in like a you're always out gripping mm. people that are just athletic. Yeah. 
and eventually you will you, you'll stop them mm-hmm. because you've outpositioned them and you're yeah. prepared for what they're going to do. So that is a, a frequent thing that happens, you know, especially for smaller guys like big athletic people will like feel like you're but your technique will get to a point where now the um the growth potential of your game is going to outmatch the growth potential right. of someone that's just being athletic. Yeah. Yeah. Here's what we've learned today about Fred. One, he's really smart. Two, he's getting good at jujitsu. Three, he can play guitar and drums. Like a madman. And like, who knows what else he can really do? Yeah, like I said, I'm not like you cannot hang out with my wife. Yeah, <laughs> wait, you're way too cool Man. for that. She seems nice. That's I'm. That's I felt a little deprived, but yeah, she's only made yeah. one really like bad mistake in her life. Yeah, marrying. But you. that was yeah. a bad one. <laughs> it was that a pretty bad was one. A big one. Yeah. Um, speaking of wives. My wife, Amanda, mother, has is now like the Pied Piper of women's jujitsu in oh, pretty yeah. amazing, yeah, Southern yeah. New Hampshire slash Maine. As as like a tribe of has has adopted a whole bunch of women and like brought jujitsu to their lives, yeah. brought jujitsu to the women's lives, and really centered, um, put focus on on women's jujitsu a little bit. Because uh, I think it's important not only for women to to learn jujitsu, but to feel comfortable in an environment where they can train together and kind of, because it, like like Thursday nights, like you are as technical as anybody that trains at Port City Brazilian Jiu Jitsu without question, probably more so. But it would be a rough night, like you know, settling in for ninety minutes of rolling with a bunch of two hundred and ten pound dudes. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I I don't feel. Like, I mean, that's not what you need. You know what I mean? I actually did it for seven years. Seven right? years every Thursday. And you got the scars to prove it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, My body can't keep up anymore. Uh, but it, it is amazing. You're, you've got uh, a, a big group of people, both at Nosto Santa Port City Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, that now are really invested in their, in their Jiu-Jitsu journey that maybe wouldn't have been previously. And I think that's the most important thing that we do is that we, we've experienced this rebirth of who we are based on jujitsu, right? Like it's much bigger than just yeah. the techniques. We've, we learn about ourselves and we kind of fight, we get to dig deep in, in the kind of the self-realization of who we really are, which I think is every, like not to get too philosophical here and we can talk more about it, but that is every, it, at least as my goal in life to know myself at a deeper level and understand myself of who I really am. And we get that through jujitsu. So spreading that and enabling somebody else to discover that is the most important thing that we do. Now it's bittersweet for me because I don't see you as much because you're now you're training. Like you've got a day there, you've got a day here, you've got mornings, you're, you're involved in the kids class very, very deeply. So it it means that I don't get to train with you as much, but I'm super happy you're, you're doing this. I'm there in the morning. So, um, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday mornings and Friday nights and Sundays I do the open mat. I was not there this Sunday today because it was Mother's Day. Of course, I took today off. Treat some waffles. I, yeah. I, I did not. I, Andrea actually made oatmeal in bed for me, so that was oh, But yesterday nice. I taught um, a woman's class at uh, the um, Nostos five-year anniversary um, open house, and that was great. There were uh, four of my regular students came, and then three new women came, 
And as soon as my class was over, they signed up right away. So that was really That's awesome. Great. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I mean, the greatest testament to your abilities as a teacher, I think, is the, the Nogi class at 6 p.m. on Fridays that mm-hmm. follows your women's class. And mm-hmm. a few of those women always stay for the Nogi class. Yeah. And they're, such, like, they're so much fun to roll with. Yeah. And I can also notice how they're getting better and a lot of those would not have stayed a few weeks no. ago, and now they're like more confident and totally. much better. And they're like, yeah, it's really exciting when you see that. Yeah, when they they have the guts to stay, and you might have rolled with that person maybe six months ago when they were first starting, and then you see a different version of them, a yeah. more uh, knowledgeable version of them, and you're like, you have it, you like, you got it, yeah. you can, like run with it, you have yeah. it. Seriously, one day um, it was like maybe six months after I had started the women's class and I, Devin walked in just sporadically and I go, Devin, look at this. Look what's happening. They're rolling. It was like, <laughs> they're doing jujitsu. It was beautiful art being created right in front of us. It was like, it was, just, it really was beautiful to watch. It was amazing to see, you know, someone who didn't know anything at all, not even how to throw a punch, not how to take someone down to the nothing, no self defense, not even how to grape, uh, break a grip, nothing. And then all of a sudden, you see him th- like six months later, complete full on rolling, like replacing guard and sweeping rolling, and passing yeah. without and muscling it or anything. It was amazing. It's a great way you put it, like creating this amazing art right in front of you. Because when people start, it's it's so awful. <laughs> Yeah, it's so ugly. Like you're watching yeah. it, and you're like, "Oh my god, yeah. it's so ugly!" And then to watch them turn and kind of, and they don't even realize it themselves. No, no. it's kind of like watching your child grow. Like you know what I mean? When people that don't see your kids for years on end, they go back, "Oh, they, you, you know, Andrew, you've gotten so big," but every day you're waking up with her, and so you don't realize that they're growing. Yeah, you know what I mean? But an outside person can sit and be like. When did this happen? Yeah, really. <laughs> when, like, yeah. like women doing like like real jujitsu and like real technical stuff, and yeah. it is it is amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's great. I love yeah. it. We even have female police officers. That's like that is who I wanted to have come in. You know, I wanted all any woman to come in, any size, any any type of woman whatsoever but i really did want police officers to be there too because they really need it you know they're on the streets every day dealing with you know the people on the worst day of their lives right so you know they never know what they're going to come up against so that was good i actually had two police officers in my um women's class yesterday so that was great nate talks about this a lot um oh, three three pl- police officers yesterday nice yeah Nice. Nate talks about the importance of jujitsu in his in his line of work a yeah. lot. Yeah. How in jujitsu, not just again, not just the, the 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 physical confirmation that like if this goes in this direction, I feel comfortable engaging, but the way his mind works in problem solving and like in handling the stress of a situation. Definitely. Yeah. He talks about that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's ta- we've talked about that as well. It's pretty amazing. So I got to change the subject now. Because my wife, um, my wife's from Vermont, and she uh, loves the planet Earth. Uh, she used to make her own clothes, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I think so. Uh, and, yeah. uh, you know, she grew up, uh, there, there's a high percentage of hippie that still remains deep down inside um, about how to kind of save the planet. 
and but we've had some very real discussions based on our conversation yeah about uh the state of global warming and uh the the usage of of natural resources so i promised her that we would talk about this right as an effort to go colonize Mars, yeah, <laughs> as the best possible option, yeah, yeah. So could you walk me the through the theory a little bit? Like, uh, you know, it's it's all based on the what is it, three degrees Celsius, and right. Uh, well, so um, there are all these. Um, so there, there's this effect called the greenhouse gas or the greenhouse effect, right? Which is what enables our planet to exist with people on it and have any kind of life. And the greenhouse effect is essentially that you have a number of different gases that trap heat so that uh, solar radiation uh, projects um, energy onto the planet. And that energy doesn't just bounce off the planet and disappear out into space because these g- gases keep and trap some amount of the heat. Uh, and so the biggest, most uh, sort of well-known of these gases, obviously, is CO2, carbon dioxide. And uh, as we burn things uh, that are carbon-based, we emit CO2 into the atmosphere. And so with greater concentrations of CO2, we trap more heat on the planet. And so we raise the temperature. Um, And so that's the basic problem. Um, And there are lots of other heat-trapping gases, like methane and whatever, um, so mostly George's fault. Exactly, he eats Chipotle every day. Yeah. Dude, I, my my stomach is acclimated to Chipotle. It's not me, but it takes friend. some doing. Yeah, it <laughs> years, yeah. yeah, years, practice. years and years of methane production. Yeah. <laughs> so here's here's right off the bat. I get, like let's talk about Mars. Mars is hotter. <laughs> it's hotter, and it's like barren. Yeah. How could it? How could well, Mars go. be a good option? Right, we'd we'd have to manufacture some some kind of artificial atmosphere to to um, yeah. Have you know. never seen Total Recall? Right. Yeah, dude. Right. Of course I have. We're gonna it's a have an encapsulated civilization. Uh, we're gonna have fans that produce air for everybody there, and we're gonna have hookers with three breasts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I almost said Corbin Dallas, but that's mixing fifth element. Multipass. And, right. Uh, <laughs> that's totally mixing my. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger and Bruce Willis. So why couldn't we just do that for Earth then? Like, if we're going to spend this vast amount of... Like, to get to Mars, how far away is Mars? I don't know. Far. (laughs) Farther than going to Stockholm, I know that. Yeah, yeah, it is a little far, I I think. It's just like on the other side of the moon. Yeah. I think. No, dude, the moon is 248 (laughs) million miles. Uh, I don't think that's true. I don't really know. I think, <laughs> I think you, you're, you're, you've got a decimal place moved in the wrong direction. 248 million miles is a really, really long way. Amanda, could you uh, Google this for me? How far are we from the moon? Yeah. I think We're we, a long way from the moon, dude. I think it might be more like 248,000 miles. Maybe. I'm but not, we're going to find out. Like I'm I holding mean, my breath because one of us right. is going to look stupid. Uh, well, I don't... I mean, <laughs> The guess is... what. Jay is right. 238,900 miles. Oh, I can't believe I was nice. off by 10,000 uh, miles. Yeah. Loser. Uh, Slightly under 9,000 9, so 9, yeah. 9, and change. This is why my, why my buddy Adam calls me rain. Can man. you look up how far it is to <laughs> Mars? <laughs> it's, yeah, it's far. <laughs> Significantly way, way far. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. I guess that's, I, my guess is that's about a million right. miles. Oh, yeah. Mm. Maybe. 
what did I say? 200 and something million miles. Yeah. Billions of miles. A few orders of magnitude. Oh, boy. Here's why we have Fred here. It's 54.6 million kilometers from Earth to Mars. Oh, so uh, yeah. do the math. How do we get into so you divide it? So divided by 1.6, right, right, to get miles. So it's how many million mi- uh, kilometers? 140 million miles. That's a lot. 140 that's million that's super miles. Far. Yeah, but that's yeah. going the speed limit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you yeah. know, like... <laughs> Uh, is Jay driving the spacecraft or is <laughs> right. driving? So that's yeah. an, it's an interesting perspective there because in order to travel there, that feels like, I, I, and I don't know how fast you can travel in space and things like that, but uh, it, w- in the absence of a wormhole of some kind, I would think that would be like a lifetime of travel. It takes a long time. Isn't, isn't it supposed to take 70 years to tra- uh, with current technology to well, get to Mars? I, I don't know. I mean, I know that you use the orbits... Of the way the planets are orbiting, right. like yeah. to your benefit, like yeah. when you do it. But I've heard that, like, because I was researching these things one time for some reason. I was bored. Who knows? And the pro- the trouble with going to Mars for a lot of things is not necessarily getting there. The tolls, the yeah, yeah. Kill you. tolls are yeah. killer. The it's the intergalactic it's, tolls. It's They're getting huge. there yeah. with stuff. Bastards. It's like getting there because it takes so much fuel and so much like. To get there, that you don't, you can't bring a lot of stuff. Right. And if you want to leave, it's hard to have the fuel to get you back out of the. Like I think the trouble is breaking the orbit of planets. Right. Once you're out you, there, you, you're going. You tag into a bunch of them on your way. Yeah. And that's a good point. Like, how can you possibly have enough fuel to get you there? I know that you can establish yeah. uh, momentum, and then once you're moving, uh, it will because there's no air resistance. Yeah. So you can, but you, but. Uh, you know, orbit becomes an issue because now you're getting pulled in different directions based on the mass of items. And I know this because I got to spend a weekend with James Foster and I know what that means. Like, I felt like everything in the nice. room got pulled towards him and then circled around him. He is a big, <laughs> he's a big human yeah. being. So can yeah. you, so let's take a step back. Yeah. Why would we need to colonize another planet? Or why would, why is it, why is our current, why are our current initiatives not going to work? Well, I mean, uh, it's just it's hard to see the 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 way that we've we've set up our economic system here on Earth. Uh, it's hard to see how we would be able to actually reduce emissions sufficient to not make the planet, if not inhabitable, then certainly way less habitable than it is right now. So how like what do you mean? Like how much would we have to kind of reduce our consumption? All right. So uh, the average. So in order to stay under uh, a two degrees Celsius warming, we would have to reduce emissions by seventy five percent on average across the planet. Across the planet, yeah. Which. So France is the average. So the your average French a French person would need to cut seventy five percent of consumption. Seventy five percent. Yeah, people yeah. don't usually like that's a, cutting consumption. They don't. Yeah, that's it's against the spirit of capitalism, obviously. Especially in the United States, yeah. and the percentage is higher in the United States. Yeah, right? it's ninety two percent in the United States, and we are the quintessential consumer. Yeah. Yeah, like our entire system is built on consuming things. Yeah, so America has five percent of the global population and consumes about twenty five percent of all energy that's, produced. That's not good. Uh, yeah, and then the 
the in American society and, uh, and economy is, is based on riding this wave of cheap fossil fuel energy. That's the whole um, kind of growth miracle of the American economy in the late 1930, 20th century, when it became the biggest, was precisely because everyone was banking on the availability of abundant cheap energy, which was a good bet at the time because there was oil and now natural gas. So it's true. We, I mean, it was, we are the purveyors of the V8 engine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it's, Exactly. It's funny too. Uh, I worked with this Irish company um, and there are different cars there. You know what I mean? There are, mm. the, all the models are different and the available engines are very, very different. And it's literally they offer like they'll offer like a one point four, one point six, a one point eight, a two point oh, and a two point two. No four point oh, no five point eight liter yeah. Cummins turbo diesel, like none of that. Everything is diesel, but the the he's like, Oh yeah, I just had to have the two point oh. Right. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, yeah. But they're uh, the rules are set up in those countries in which like they make it impossibly expensive to have a big motor, low economical um, results automobile that like it's only very, very rich people have what would be considered an exotic car there, which is a big motor because these countries have realized that that kind of consumption is, is not realistic and that's just not something we've done here. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the costs of having a, a an American muscle car in a European country is just astronomical. It'd just be so impractical. Right. Uh, so no one does it. So what do we do? Uh, I don't... You went <laughs> I to don't Oxford, know. Fred. Come I, on. I think we're screwed. I like think we're screwed. I think so, too. And that's, <laughs> and that's where screwed. my wife is like, <laughs> what do you mean? Like, so we're not supposed to do anything? And I'm like, well, I guess, you know, based on my conversation with Swedish Fred no. is that maybe we could slow things, I guess. No. But, and that would, and that's good, but, and it, but it doesn't impact us. It doesn't impact our kids, kids or our kids, 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 but like somewhere down the line is going to get really hot. Yeah. And well, weather's yeah. going to get crazy. The basic problem Sounds is, is one of, of externalities, right? So the, 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 the this kind of uh, economic term uh, where where you have a cost that's not incurred by the person who is doing the benefiting. So if you have a coal plant and you burn coal in your coal plant and you make money off of that, you get the full benefit of whatever energy you produce. Mm -hmm. But the cost of it is distributed equally over everyone on the planet. The so, CO2 released by burning the coal. Exactly. So you get a larger share of the benefit, you get all of the benefit, but you're sharing the cost with the other 7.7 .7 billion people on the planet. So it's, um, you know, from a kind of um, uh, rational choice type theory perspective, it's a good move to to burn fossil fuel because you get the benefits, but you don't pay for it. Concept of responsibility, right? Yeah. So it's uh, so it's hard to imagine that a, a free market could could fix it. Uh, and then and then we're screwed. But I mean, who who's to say that we won't have technologies in the future that can you know uh, capture carbon and suck it out of the atmosphere? Or there, you know, all this like geoengineering that people are talking about now. Possibly we can invent our way out of it. So you would, but the argument is definitely it's not even an argument, right? This is a clear indication. Like we either figure that out, or we figure out another place to live, right? Right. Reversing this process is not an option. 
uh, no. realistically speaking. Yeah, no, no. Even if we stopped producing uh, and emitting CO2 and other heat-trapping gases right now, we still would have a significant amount of additional warming because it's already up there what in the atmosphere. Yeah, and it's just going to stay there. Uh, so, yeah, unless we can figure out some way of kind of sucking it back out of the atmosphere. And, you know, who knows? We've done crazier stuff I mean, than that. That's already happening, I think, right? But like the carbon not, capture It's thing. expensive. I yeah, think. it doesn't really work, I don't think, at no. this point. Yeah. Um, because I know I've seen people extract the co2 somehow out of the atmosphere into pellets or something right i mean basically yeah. it's a cycle that has happened it's just humans have amplified the cycle by the burning yeah i mean we need the climb uh the greenhouse effect right that's crucial otherwise we die something that mars is missing yeah yeah this is why i'm skeptical of mars <laughs> mars does not have the atmosphere yeah. to sustain Get your ass to Mars. Do you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know that I think in. But again, some, Total Recall. Right. Mm. Yeah. Which is a great movie. Yeah. Although I wouldn't want to live there, right? No. It seems what like a forecast. It, yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger back in the day. Mm -hmm. Oh, I think that uh, I was telling people I work with a while ago that Terminator was like, uh, it's coming true. I was like, dude, look at the machines and the robot and mm -hmm. the artificial engineering. I mean, the artificial intelligence. Let uh, me tell you, like, I'm. I'm so the company I work It's for, Terminator. The company I work for is deeply rooted in the concept of of techn technological development of artificial intelligence. There is very little evidence to support an idea that a machine could not become self-aware at some point. Yeah. Because it's a mathematical eventually it's it's rationale. Like you identify all these different things and you, and you understand all these different things and you understand the human emotion now and you understand how humans' brains start to work and you uh, can create algorithms to understand those things. It's only a matter of time before you're like, I'm doing the thinking. Yeah. And then once that's happened, the multiplication effect is instant, right? So you go from having one self-aware machine to an infinite number all of them. because once they once one figures it out they can make it happen connected device now. yeah so then you can take it one step further there's a this a swedish philosopher at oxford uh, nick bostrom or bostrom uh who has a, an article uh that asks the question are we already living in an ai reality where our experience of reality is simulated and um he sort of factors it out with the numbers and, and the likelihood that we are already slaves of the machine is actually far greater than that we are actually sitting here in real life. Precisely because the, of the likelihood that you're talking about. Then the kind of numbers would right. suggest that we're already like in a simulation. Some version of the matrix yeah. deal. Yeah. I mean, think about how dependent we are on technology now. Like, look around the room. <laughs> Literally look around. Andrea is the only one drawing pictures. Yeah, right. Like you know what I mean. And in order for us to exist now, we need. It's not even where it was when we were kids. Was like electricity was important and telephone and automobile. Now connection to everyone else in the world is paramount in our lives in order to do our jobs. Physically speaking, like no. you know, many years ago, someone would do my job you know, making phone calls with nickels and quarters or calling from home and driving to see them. Now the internet and Skype and video conference makes all these things possible. And the concept of email and, and the usage of the internet and the dependence on the internet in order to communicate with other people is, is 
primary to our lives. How are we going to get to Mars without technology? Right. You can't. can't. You can't. Can't. But think about this. What if someone all of a sudden said, what if, what if the machine or it's not really the machine anymore, by the way, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a server. It, it wouldn't exist on a server. It would be it's not the cloud. It, that's essentially, I, I want to demystify what that really means. I mean, the cloud is really just shared storage across, uh, like across hardware. It's just not at your house anymore. It's right. not the box that's under, sitting underneath your desk anymore. It's sitting somewhere. It's you not a I mean? thing floating in the sky? No, no, that doesn't, it, it is the information, the data is sitting on a server somewhere. Like it's, the, it's, it's hosted data is what it is. It's just not at your house anymore. In your laptop. Yeah, it's not in your laptop. It's 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 hosted somewhere. It's by Google or whatever, and they and they shift it around so that like they can manage storage. But that's what the cloud is. But my point is is that it's not you know it's not a machine that suddenly becomes self aware. It's not the computer here. It's not your car. It's it's it would be a shared kind of experience. And that to Fred's point, it would be everywhere all at once. And they and so long as it sounds stupid, but there was agreement amongst these entities, it would be very easy for them to take control of the world. But then here's a, a Terminator. Question. Yeah. Well, the, the matrix, I, the most interesting uh, scene in the matrix or, or plot line is the guy who sells out Morpheus and the team, right? I can't remember his name. He wants to go back in. He wants to go back in. And I feel like that is a, perfectly rational thing to do of course why would you want to be on this shitty spaceship eating that space goop when you can be Bowl full of snot yeah exactly when you can just be be plugged into the matrix in some cushy position and you eat steak and you have a good time yeah, that beautiful makes sense. wife and yeah as, does it eat, so as opposed it, to eating a, a bowl of uh lutefisk Ludafisk. <laughs> that is for yeah. like rotten shark or something. Yeah, like no, that. It's, uh, yeah. It's, why it's would you just f- white fish in. cooked with uh, cooked in lye? Yeah, how you how Amanda makes soap is is the <laughs> dish. How we how we cook is fish. how Fred cooks fish. <laughs> Sounds not very tasty. It sits no. in a it is sits in a it barrel <laughs> till it turns into white fish mush. Yeah, yeah. What does it taste like? Nothing. Yeah. Absolutely nothing. It just kind of it doesn't taste like lye or so, like does lye get absorbed or like is it part of the chemical reaction? I just, like like a, a metallic kind of taste to it or a, like a like liver? No, no, no. It definitely doesn't. Chemically? I mean, liver's really flavorful. No, this is it. Really doesn't. It's like tasteless white snot. But then you put salt and pepper, and you have a sauce and potatoes. And, I mean, I'm assuming know. it came about because there was a lack of food in yeah. certain times. Yeah, or a way yeah. to preserve it. I would. It's, say. it's right, a right. storage met- right. method. Yeah, that's why all all of our. Uh, Why couldn't you just do beef stuff. jerky like a good American? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't think um, uh, we. I don't think we had a lot of beef, mm. pigs. I mean, do you do jerky on pigs? You do, right? You can do pork jerky, yeah. yeah. Moose, everything. everything. Yeah. Moose. Did, did you know? I think Fred learned how to speak English from RoboCop. Really? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. I did. I told you. His that. mother caught him watching <laughs> RoboCop when he was a kid. Yeah. Obviously. Fred speaks better English than all of us native. It's better, more better, more better, it's more better than ours. <laughs> our English, yeah. Um, but he did. He got 
You yeah. got caught watching RoboCop. It's true. A young child in Sweden. I love that movie. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's brutal though. That first scene when um, they blow before, him apart. Yeah, when they shoot his arm off and whatever. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, I have that seared and deep, Does deep down hurt? in my consciousness. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it looks like it hurts a lot. I remember yeah. like it was difficult because oh. I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Just a kid. I should not have been watching that movie. No, and, neither uh, should have Fred have. Yeah. yeah, and I remember how mad I got at the executive at uh, at the what was it called something corp? I don't remember. It. Yeah, like, created the Ed two hundred nine. Mm. Remember that guy when the Ed two hundred nine mal- malfunctioned? That guy that cut the mach- like about fifty rounds in the chest. Oh. He realized the result of what happens when you don't properly control technology. Right. Is the girl from with the dragon tattoo? Is that Sweden? Yeah. The that's dark, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, um, I haven't read those books. But I, mean, I mean, I watched the movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. it sounds pretty. That sounds like a pretty harsh movie or book. Or it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a good movie, but it is pretty dark. Yeah, it's um, it's supposed. To, I don't know. I, I don't actually don't really know what it is. I, yeah. I've seen one of the movies. There, there's a few now, right? I think so. I yeah. saw the one with. Uh, Daniel Craig. Oh yeah, uh, that one's good. Yeah, no, yeah. it's a good movie. Yeah, I like that one. But it's like disturbing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fred, what is your favorite movie? Huh. Oh, I know. High Fidelity. That's my favorite. Oh, movie. we wow. talked about right. Like, yeah. Jack Black. Yeah. Yeah. Jack. What a singer. My yeah. daughter's favorite yeah. human. Kathleen Turner mm-hmm. Overdrive. Oh yeah, yeah. Sonic Death Monkey. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I love that movie. I can probably quote it line for line. It's I don't have like a favorite novel or a favorite, you know, band or record really, but like High Fidelity really stands out as like the best movie ever. I've watched it twenty five times. It probably. is a great movie. He's yeah. rearranging his records. Yeah. yeah. Somebody doing uh yeah. you know, uh uh chronological, alphabetical, and he goes biographical. biographical. Yeah. <laughs> like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Those the scenes where he imagines himself uh, killing what's his name with the uh, the pony Tim uh, Robbins yeah the, uh, yeah just <laughs> phenomenal yeah Catherine Zeta Jones role in that movie was great yeah yeah Charlie I think her name was yeah yeah that was a is just John a Cusack in that movie yeah he's oh the guy all right that's yeah. what I thought I was like yeah. I haven't seen this in does a long he time. wear a maroon right. shirt and a <laughs> black leather jacket yes. <laughs> Like every John Cusack movie, just yeah. like Gross Point Blank, and yeah. we watch a lot of School of Rock with Joan Cusack in it. Yeah, yeah. sister, oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, she was also in Gross Point Blank. Yeah, yeah, I love that movie too. Uh, like she was in High Fidelity too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the reunion, right? The reunion scene. No, the, that's Gross Point Blank. Yeah, scene. but in High Fidelity, was she was Joan Cusack in she, High Fidelity? Uh, oh yeah, yeah. she shows she's up one the day. assistant uh, in in Gross Point Blank. Right, and uh, she was uh, his ex girlfriend's. F- I think she plays his sister re- realistically because she comes to the record store at one point. It's like leave her alone, stop calling her. Yeah. You're being weird. Yeah, and she yeah. leaves after that. Yeah, I think my homework is to go back and watch High Fidelity because yeah, it's do really it. Long, oh, it's also uh, the book that, that it's based on by Nick Hornby. It's also really good. It's that it's got a lot of real emotional insight in it. Do you I like martial arts movies? Five yeah. copies of the beta album. <laughs> What's your favorite martial arts movie? Oh, hmm. Well, I think the one that had the biggest impact on me was No Retreat, No Surrender. 
Ooh. back in the day. Wow. I love that one. That was really good. Did that, you do martial arts before jiu-jitsu or no? Never. Uh, I did karate when I was like 10. In Sweden? Yeah. Did you like it? Or uh, yeah, for a, for a while I liked it. Um, we did the the katas and the stuff, right? Yeah, it was it was okay. Yeah. <laughs> Jay, what's your favorite martial arts movie? Man, it's tough. Uh, right off the bat, I start to think Enter the Dragon, but I really mm. liked mm. Uh, Bloodsport and Kickboxer. Those were yeah. really good. Uh, in fact, I think it was Kickboxer either three or four. Higgin Machado was in that. Was he? Yeah. Yeah, there was like this tournament style fight, uh, and um, he was in there. But Enter the Dragon was such a good Chinese connection, was so good. Yeah. Um, Kiss of the Dragon, also, the uh, Luc Besson movie with right? Jet Li. It's, I feel like it's one of those like perfect action movies. It just it moves through the action, and the story is um, not dumb, but it's simple enough to sort of just provide a platform for this awesome action. But you're also emotionally invested. And what's her name? Jane Fonda? Fonda something? Um, the woman? The the sort of not quite love interest, the prostitute, American prostitute. Oh, is that is that Bridget Fonda? Bridget Fonda. It's not Bridget. Jane Fonda, right? right. No. It couldn't be, but she would older. be too old. Yeah. Too yeah. old to high kick. Yeah. She doesn't have the flexibility in the nope. hamstrings anymore. No. Amanda, let's hear your favorite... Martial arts movie? Mine was Rush Hour. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, nice. Jackie it's Chan. It's a great movie. And, uh, uh, <laughs> I'm no punk bitch. <laughs> War. Good <laughs> God. What is it good for? Dude, the, the, the interaction between uh, the Chinese, the street Chinese food vendor was like, he's like, don't you, man, look at all that grease. I can eat that. Don't you got something else? He's like, I'm no punk bitch. I ain't no punk bitch. I'm no punk bitch. <laughs> I got to go back and watch. I haven't seen that one. Oh, my God. It's so funny. Andrea, do you have a favorite martial arts movie? Yeah. What is it? Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, yes. that one's awesome. Yeah. That's what a, a great really, pick. That yeah. is, man, that's a top five. I didn't know. Jack Burton. Yeah. yeah. That's a good one. That the check is, is in one. the mail. What about Hero? You ever seen Hero? I bring this one up every time. With I love. I've I seen that parts movie was of good, it. Man, I haven't seen the. You ever seen thing. that, Fred? No. Hero. Hero. Go home and watch it. Who's in it? Jet Li's in it. Yeah, I think. Oh no, I've seen it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's one of those kind of more classical sort of uh, flying Ch- Chinese uh, martial yeah. arts movies. Chinese yeah. directed martial yeah. arts movies. Yeah. Kind of yeah. like a uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon right. style right. movie. Which I really like. Yeah. Those are, I like that that cinema. They're great. Yeah, yeah. That, that style. That's what I really want to do. I really don't want to do jujitsu. You want to fly if, from tree to tree? If I could fly around like that, I would be doing that martial art. And it would yeah. make that gi noise like... <laughs> yeah. Really, yeah. I would totally do it. That, like that's so yeah. much cooler than jujitsu. If you could fly, yeah. that's not really fair. <laughs> yeah. you know? Jujitsu's awesome, but flying yeah, would be better. Yeah. Uh, what about doing jujitsu or being invisible? <laughs> Whoa. But you uh, cannot do both. Yeah. You couldn't do both. Well, I mean, um, if you could, if you could be invisible, you, invisible? you would beat anyone in jujitsu. Right? I know, yeah. but you wouldn't be able to feel jujitsu like you. Right. Are you true. invisible all the time? No, just when you choose. Oh, when you want to. Oh, be. yeah. Yeah. Uh, man, I but don't think know. about the things that you would know that you probably yeah, don't want to exactly. know. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Too much power. No. Too much power. I don't want it that. Could be. Like yeah. curious, I'm a very curious person, so I would want to know <laughs> what's being said when I'm not in the room. 
<laughs> and right? you don't want to. You know. don't want to know. You don't want to know. Yeah, Andrea, do you want to be invisible, or would you rather know jujitsu? Jujitsu. Yes. Good. No. <laughs> no. Yes. Amanda. Jujitsu. Nice. Jujitsu all around. But the actual martial art that's the closest to it, I feel like, is uh, capoeira, where those guys almost fly. Oh, yeah. There's that only the strong, which is, a, is a, an old uh, capoeira that. movie. Yeah, with Mark DeCascos. Yeah. Uh, and that made me want to do capoeira. Right. But it's, it's really hard, funny. actually. You know? So, uh, Mark, this is the funny thing about uh, Mark DeCascos, is it, you know, pretty. Uh, semi-famous, or at least famous in the martial arts world as far as movies. Yeah. Um, but he is the also the Iron Chef's nephew. <laughs> wow. as, as the story goes, yeah, like he's he's the guy on Iron Chef America, like in the words of my uncle. Right, I had no idea. A la cuisine. That's Mark DeCascos. Huh. Just a little. Right. <laughs> 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 right, um, Fred. What's your favorite? Uh, what's your favorite band? Yeah, hmm. I don't have one. Uh, I don't think. What kind of music do you like to listen to? Um, I'm. Uh, music is my uh, most intense and long-lasting kind of interest and passion, which is why it's so hard to choose. Um, I listen to a lot of different music. What am I listening to recently? Oh, yeah. Uh, shout out to some good new Swedish bands Shit Kid Awesome uh, Viagra Boys uh, And Spice Boys I listened to all three on the in the car on the way over here Wow They're awesome What, what kind of music? What genre, yeah. yeah Well, they're all kind of indie rock uh, uh, Yeah uh, I think that's that's like where my heart is You know, the kind of post-punk uh, Sonic scene. Youth Wow, interesting Sonic Youth, Do you listen to Ghosts? I don't. No, I've never even heard of them. What? Until, until now, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. This is a... Uh, have you ever heard of a band called the Magna Carta Cartel? No. Okay. No. These are like strange Swedish bands. Yeah. They're Swedish? Metal? They're not Swedish. Though. Pretty sure they're Swedish, yeah. They're from Sweden. Um, Tobias Forge is the uh, the lead singer and creator of, of Ghost, and he was in Magna Carta Cartel. I'm pretty mm. sure they're Swedish. Um, really uh, weird. It's like uh, <laughs> performance art. So know. they pretend to be very satanic in nature, but they're yeah. actually not. It's like a big joke, but <laughs> the music is yeah phenomenal. I've been getting into some black metal lately in the last few years, uh, but I haven't been able to transition into death metal. That's like, um, I, I can't can't get into it really but right. black metal for sure this What's is not difference? even close to it, it's almost like operatic metal oh yeah it's like iron really, maiden type it, much closer to that yeah much closer to that than it is i mean some of it is hardcore like not like <laughs> like yeah. traditional european like punk metal it's not yeah. like that it's like there's i mean there's a, a few things that have like uh the polka beat you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Which is the definite, the definitive characteristic of hardcore. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, it's not as it's not hard. It's not that hard. It's like metal, but it's also operatic, and it's also very um, melodical. Mm. Uh, and the singer sings. He's not like. Yeah. <laughs> it's, there's none of that. 
Um, I have a hard time with that. I struggle with it too. Uh, uh, yeah, it doesn't seem no. very enjoyable. Yeah, no it's stressful music. Yeah, it, uh, I, I get a little stressed just from uh, the kind of uh, empathizing with the singer uh, and his vocal cords. It, <laughs> it, 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 it sort of I feel the pain of what it must be like to sing that <laughs> right? way. You're like it can't last. <laughs> it's it's, it's like ACDC. Yeah. How can yeah. he do this for you know forty years? Yeah. When there, is the voice going to give out? There must be some technique to it, though, because um, they they do it for years and years. Right. I don't know what it is. That guy, what's his name, the uh, lead singer for ACDC? Brian Johnson. He sings, I am like, that seems like the most stress you can possibly put on your vocal cords. Yeah. I think he, he can still sing. He's just lost his hearing. Like, re, like the ACDC. Tinnitus. ACDC was done for a while because, like, one of the young, young brothers died and... Uh, and then I think Brian Johnson couldn't like couldn't hear anymore. Well, you you saw the interim lead singer, right? For a little while. Who was that? Axel. Oh, Rose. that's right. That's right. Yeah. Boy, is that just you Which, know when your band you should just hang it up. <laughs> she can't sing the way he sang on Aphrodite for Destruction. No, it sounds yeah. terrible. Yeah, he's really lost it. Actually, it's uh, kind of sad to hear. I mean, I think uh, Appetite for Destruction is a great one of the greatest great one record. of the greatest Records rock albums all time. Yeah. All time. yeah. But and uh, another guy that cannot, David Lee Roth cannot sing anymore. He's had a yeah. He's had a rough go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, I list, he's got a, he's back out. Like he, he was gone underground for a while, but he's back now. Diamond Dave. And so I've been listening to his little podcasts. He's an entertaining individual. He really is. He's an entertainer. He's not, he's not just a singer. No, he was a paramedic in New York City for a while. He's got the splits. He can do the splits. Yeah. Oh, Went that's to, impressive. was a rock climber, did all kinds. Of, like, he's done amazing things. He's yep. an interesting character. Much more interesting than Axl Rose. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Way cooler, too. Oh, yeah. way cooler. Way cooler. Like, he's much more close to uh, who one of the people that I think is like, maybe the coolest guy ever. In fact, I saw a picture of Gwen Stefani when she was a kid. Like just a kid asking this guy for his autograph while he was on a motorcycle, the man, Billy Idol. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that Billy Idol was in The Wedding Singer. Oh, my yeah. God. was awesome. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> like nobody can dress punk rock and still be cool. Like where you're not like that guy looks like an idiot. All right. You see Billy Idol, you're like that guy is he the can. definition of cool. Like him yeah. and Iggy Pop, like they're the only people that can really get away with it. Anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because usually it turns sad, but not for those guys. Right, yeah. usually goes bad, like probably dead. Yeah, not yeah. for Iggy Pop. Nope. No, no, Absolute. he just gets better. He just gets better. Yeah. I mean, he's got his own thing, though. He's Iggy Pop's like he's an enigma. You can't destroy it anymore. Yeah, yeah he's his own thing. You know, um, for Swedish Fred. Why would you? And what? 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 provokes you what prompts you to spend all your free time with with the people of the likes of <laughs> us amanda jay and i sunday afternoon yeah. like yeah. you could be anywhere in the world right and andrea and and do and grapple with your pajamas on like what what benefit do you get out of that it's just so much fun isn't it yeah it's just the best thing to do i i i, I mean yeah I, I just like it um and I was, um, I never used to do sports. I never liked sports. I'm not, I wouldn't have described myself as particularly athletic, but this just, just so much fun. Uh, right. That's it. Yeah. Self-expression yeah. too, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, and the people who do jujitsu are cool. Uh, I mean, 
they're much better than the people who just well who don't <laughs> struggle who don't. through life yeah man. no but it, it's uh it's such a uh it's always any gym you walk into is such a cool group of people who are all strange uh, in their own particular way and it comes out in their jiu-jitsu and you have this kind of different language of jiu-jitsu and it's fun and you kind of match up and it's you find uh, your way through it right? yeah yeah no it's just uh it's so much fun that's a, a like a, maybe the purest example of because nobody says like oh why do you love jujitsu and they have these really complex and nobody says because it's fun yeah <laughs> it's fun because it's super fun and now it makes us really weird and probably a little bit messed up that our enjoyment is to come and get our elbows and shoulders wrenched and choked <laughs> choked by our friends in our spare time All right <laughs> uh, but and it makes us strange but it is. It is an amazing experience, and I hate the term. Like, this term bugs me, and it's really geeky and nerdy, um, but the man George Matthews refers to non-jujitsu folk as muggles. <laughs> <laughs> and it's yeah. like, I kind of like that. It's like, you know, you know what I mean? If there was one of them in the room, and we were all talking, and be like, this guy's kind of weird, and I'd be like, ah, he doesn't do jujitsu, and be like, oh, that makes so much more sense yeah. to me. Yeah, like that's why he's weird. <laughs> you notice that when when someone comes in for the first time, even like a younger guy, really athletic, and you put your knee on his belly and he taps, and you're like, "What?" <laughs> and there's a split second where he's like, "What is wrong with you? What kind of a freak are you?" And it's like, "Oh no, I'm I'm the freak for thinking it's a normal thing to do to just like <laughs> push my knee as Neil hard as <laughs> sternum, yeah." yeah. <laughs> and and to to not feel like it's legitimate to tap out to that, but of course it Stop. is. Stop! Like you have some disgust. Yeah, you're like I'm just like no. Yeah. What kind yeah. of human are you? What are you What are you doing? Yeah. We're just getting started. Yeah. yeah, I haven't yet begun to really make you uncomfortable. Yeah. Like this is just standard. Yeah, this isn't something you tap to. But of course, any normal person, if you put your knee in their sternum and you sit on them with your weight like they're gonna they're gonna want to get out of that as soon as possible and if they can tap and you let you let them go that's what they're gonna do they get free from that yeah like, yeah well then i'll do it yeah like, whatever it's gonna make yeah. you stop yeah that is interesting and yeah. even more interesting that it is our desire even if we can't escape to, like well i'm i'm not gonna tap no, no even if i'm not gonna get, like no it could be two minutes into the round and i might need to do this for another five minutes yeah but there's no way that's happening right no. i've developed this perverse thing of like i can suffer more than whatever <laughs> like i can endure more suffering than you can deliver to me i spent two weeks doing this where i was like i'm just gonna work my side mount escapes yeah and i let him snuggle in and really make things impossible and there is a there's appreciation somewhere in there and like self-discovery somewhere in there where you're like yeah it's like a dominatrix type of thing where you're like this makes me feel better yeah like having this the, the pressure like <coughs> there's something really messed the up about that the yeah. misery I, yeah. I now enjoy yeah yeah it's almost better than like getting the sweeper submitting Right, it's the like, fact that you can't make me tap from making me <laughs> utterly miserable. Right, go ahead yeah. and try. Yeah. Yeah. You can't do it. Right, I know there's some people that could do it. Right. Oh yeah, With, no, <laughs> without a doubt. Right, hundred percent there is. Um, 
Yeah, and in fact, I've now developed this thing where, I don't know, and sometimes when I feel a lot of pain, I laugh. I just laugh. It's my new <laughs> instinct of like, like you were doing some technique to me the other day and like I was flying through the air or something and it was unexpected, so it made me laugh. And like people thought it was funny that I thought it was funny. But <laughs> I was trying I was to think flying. of what that was. I don't remember. It was, I think it was Thursday night, maybe. Um, it's hard to say. Didn't I do, oh, it was, it was guard passing, right? Did you do a throw though or something before? Oh, in maybe? the beginning, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, it's gonna kill me. Like it's bad for the podcast to, to <laughs> dwell on this, but right. Um, there was a throw. I don't remember what it was, but there's also a lot of weird little things in that. Like oh, finishing the single. Oh yeah, the hip in. Mm. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Where you like where you like blast me up yeah. from you know behind, and I'm like, well, I don't know if that's the right <laughs> description. No, it was a blast from behind. I think that's accurate. Yeah, <laughs> well, I'm not the one getting blasted from behind. So right. It's not weird. Yeah, yeah. You looked like you enjoyed it. <laughs> I did. So that's good. I enjoyed yeah. blasting you from behind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What would you call that technique besides the besides the behind butt blast? Um, I don't know. You, you need um, you need to um, sanitize it. You need a better right. euphemism. Yeah, mm. I don't know what um, the name of it is. Yeah, I I don't know either. I mean, because it single leg butt blast. Single, single leg butt blast. Yeah. Yeah. It's more like a leg blast, though. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's funny in jujitsu. A lot of a lot of the time, people say hip, you know, when they uh, mean butt, just to not have to say butt. You know, like like you use your hip or you like grab by the hip or. But all you're doing really is like it's more of a butt move than a hip move. You know. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Jujitsu isn't interesting. Does that? Does like. I mean, has jujitsu ever came into play with amongst your colleagues, um, amongst the muggles of the, your life? The academics. <laughs> academics. Um, it must give you a little cred, like, like if they know. Yeah, I mean, um, there's one version of, of academia, I think, that's supposed to be this pure life of the mind, where mm. you almost you look down on kind of physical exercise and athleticism because it's taking away from uh that kind of life of the mind but i but i feel like that's that's actually kind of an antiquated idea now everyone is on board with this kind of mind body kind of connection where you need to be healthy in in body in order to have like a working mind so i don't think that's true anymore um and i've been lucky not to have any uh, visible injuries. No black eyes lately. Um, yeah, I, I or cauliflower did. ear. Or yeah, yeah. No black eyes like you have today. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I I did get a a black eye from I can't remember who gave it to me. It was probably you, George. I don't think I don't um, give too many black eyes. About a year ago, and and uh, Minna would put makeup on me every morning. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, and I was. Because I didn't want to go in front of students. I, I don't care about my colleagues so much. I mean, but with the students, I'm, it's a bad image, right? It's yeah, a bad look. Yeah. So she would put makeup on my eye. What yeah. does your wife think of jujitsu? Girlfriend, but um, oh, she. Uh, uh, Should I check in in a couple of weeks and maybe? Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she, um, she I, I don't know. I think uh, she's very sort of sporty and athletic too. So I think she appreciates that I do something. 
uh, active. But I think if she could decide, I would be more into sort of hiking and, and biking and do those things with her. She's lame, not going to come to. <laughs> she's not going to come to jujitsu. Fred, Fred once tried some judo techniques on uh, on his girlfriend. Wow, and it she went did. over really well. He gave her a couple tosses, and she yeah. said, "Boy, I'm invigorated by this. I can't wait to learn." And then she, yeah, she hurt her shoulder, and uh, was <laughs> how bad? <laughs> I I don't. I mean. In jiu-jitsu terms, it's the neon belly uh, factor again. In jiu-jitsu terms, it was nothing. Oh. But in Mugder terms, it was really painful for a few days. <laughs> she was not happy. Oh, <laughs> we can toughen her up. <laughs> it's, uh, it is, that's another thing, right? Where we're different than... Because like, I'll limp around and... You know, I can have a hard time getting up at work. I'll be at work like I'm like, oh god, I'm hanging on by a thread, hanging right now. on by a thread, and then people, the rest of the people that you know are sharing an office with you, sometimes they don't understand the why I would, you know, I why. think. The, the, sorry, I interrupted. Now go. I was going to say the classic uh, interpretation of this is when you speak to your general care physician, right, and they're like. Well, I, I re- like highly recommend. My doctor literally tells me like you're gonna have to stop doing this, and I'm like, well, then I'll go find a new doctor because let's be really clear about something. It's not going to stop. Like he's like, well, why? Like you're always hurt. Something's always broken. Something's always sore. Like your joints are 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 uh, deteriorating more fast or quicker than you know your average bear. And I'm like, it doesn't like that's the deal we make with the devil. Yeah. Is that we're gonna we're gonna wear it out? We're not gonna rust. We're gonna wear it out, and that's fine. We're gonna burn out. We'll all be arthritic in the hands, and that's gonna happen. <laughs> and like we all agree, and like fine, that's the deal. Then we're done. Like just like an, like any professional athlete, like Rob Gronkowski made a deal, like a deal with the devil. Like and you know what I mean? Like this is gonna happen. He was he, maybe the smartest NFL player I've ever seen in getting out the way he did. Barry Sanders, mm-hmm. though. Uh, Barry Sanders, like. He made a deal with the devil and said, for money and fame and fortune, I will do this. And then, and gone. Then, Skiing in Colorado. Skiing in Colorado and then, you know what I mean? I tell you, so I met Barry Sanders one time in Colorado. Who's taller? He is, but not by much. Right. Like, but he's, he's like 235 or 240 back in the he's day. He's thick. He's super thick, but short. And he, at the time, this was like 10 years ago, he came in with his kid. He looked exactly like him. His kid was like starting to play college football. I mean, they were identical. Wow. But you see a guy and you're like, now here's an athlete for sure. Like he, he could still be playing probably in the NFL right now. He's amazing. Right. They're superhumans. Uh, I remember back in the day, um, everyone was on Scal about how they thought that Scal sucked. Scalabrini? Yeah. And he was like, I will tell you what I'm going to do. These are the courts I'm going to be on in Boston. Like in the next week, anybody who wants to come and test me, like I'll be there. And what people don't realize is those guys are the best athletes in the world. Yeah. Like you don't go play Scalabrini in one-on-one basketball and do well. Like I don't care how good you are in your neighborhood. He's yeah. better. Think about even the worst guy on the worst team in the NBA. Right. So the worst dude in the NBA is still and amazing he would he would just obliterate right do you remember the else? and one tour it was this basketball tour that would go around they would play in like local uh neighborhoods and like all like some some like areas that were known for good basketball and the and one team would go play the best players that they had 
And like these and one players were doing crazy, crazy stuff, like really like globetrotter, like just dogging people. And they were so good with the ball. And like, and you're like, how are these guys not in the NBA? And there's like one or two guys that made like summer league and got like, didn't even yeah. make the, like that was it. Like these guys are not on the level. Like, you know what I mean? You talk about Tom Brady. Oh man, he's a horrible athlete. Like you're like, he is not a horrible athlete. He's an, like an amazing athlete. He's the first of all the best quarterback that ever played the game. But like, yeah, because he's not fast in the forty. I bet you he's faster than you are. Right. You know right. what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And Even he, like our our friend Ty, who trains jujitsu with us sometimes, who played goalie in the NHL, right? At a very high We're level. T- yeah. Had I mean, a career in yeah, the NHL. Career in the NHL as a goalie. You know, maybe he won the. I don't know if he was on the Stanley Cup. He played for the Red Wings at one time. Yeah. But. Played at UNH, which is a good college program at the time. Was like in the run for the national championship for sure. in hockey at that time. But you think a goalie, and you're like, eh, goalie, you know? That dude is an amazing he's athlete. A super athlete. He's unbelievable. Flexible, strong. Yeah. Um, Probably not that fun to roll with. No, he's a beast. <laughs> no. he, yeah, yeah. He, he was a beast. A monster. So do you come across Andy at... at at school when you're working, do you guys cross paths a lot or no? Uh, uh, no, not by accident. I've never seen him on campus. He might be lying to us all. He, he might not he be. He might not even be there. Yeah. Andy might just not know, actually. And he, maybe he's making all this stuff about Shakespeare up. Yeah. he really we wouldn't know. Maybe, right. Andy, yep. maybe Andy is like a janitor at the middle, middle school in Portsmouth. Maybe. Yeah. And maybe. he's just lying to all of us or he like works at, you know, he, he, like maybe because... Right across, maybe he's like a uh, waiter at Margarita's during the day, like the day shift, the lunch. Yeah. Well, he is now a uh, bartender at a brewery. Yeah, hey. um, Hidden yep. Cove, Hidden Cove, up in Wells, right? In Wells, Maine. So, yeah. shout out to them. Yeah, Wait, is that where uh, Carolyn works? No, she works at the. Banded, <coughs> I mean, is uh, that where Carolyn works? <laughs> banded the Banded something, horn, oh, Banded Brewery. Banded yeah, banded. Speaking of Carolyn, our friend in first black belt. Port City Black Belt, Devin Powell celebrated five years um, anniversary yesterday at his academy, Nostos. Congratulations, MMA. Devin, Carolyn, uh, and yeah. all of the Nostos team. Amanda taught a um, women's Yeah, we talked about how awesome she thing is. there yesterday. You went to the bathroom. I went, we talked I about the greatness that is your wife. And yeah. yesterday I went to visit my parents, who I hadn't seen in a while. Um but it was good to see. Did you go over there, or off. did you? I didn't. Visit I went with up mom to the, and dad. I, to, I felt like, man, I better go see my parents before I'm disowned. It's uh, amazing people that are in my uh, network per se, like not even directly. Like some people are from work, like really weird people. Like I get because the company I work for has 475 thousand employees, <laughs> and um, it's not a small company. It's not a small company mm-hmm. at all. But I get uh, these. You know, people asking me like, "So, when's uh, when's Devin gonna get another fight?" I'm like, "What the hell are you talking about?" Like, it's not the side of me that I'm like, right, right. You know what I mean? There's lots of funny stuff that goes on with that. I'm like, "How? What are you talking about?" We want to keep that separate. Uh, the work, Jay. I'm a very different person. Oh no, I know. Very, very different person. Now it's more unified than it's ever been. But 
my wife will tell you the that. Unified, Jay. <laughs> right. Well, you guys experience is the real me. Like, jujitsu me and, like, this is me. Like, the way we interact, this is entirely me. Like, if you saw me working, you'd be like, who is that person? Like, and what have you done with Jay Mansfield? Like, that is the worst version of Jay ever. Like, in the world of forms, that is, like, <laughs> ugh. If that's the true Jay, like, that's what we're going to end up with. Um, it's... um. It's a necessary evil, I guess. But like to have someone approach that wor- that side of my life, like the real, like the who I am day to day, like wh- how I live my life and like who I want to be and how I want to behave all the time, to have someone access that from a work perspective is so weird for me. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't want to talk to you about this. Like yeah. I'm busy being miserable Jay right now. And don't talk <laughs> to me about sunshine happy Jay. Right, because <laughs> miserable Jay doesn't even want to think about that right now. Hmm. So we gotta go visit Devin. We haven't. Uh, we do. Yeah, we do. He yeah. wants to train and like, he wants to set up something where we'd all go, like maybe all meet up once in a while and train. Like, uh, it's a good goal. The schedules make it hard difficult. For the and ske- he, right. I know, I and I know that he knows that. Right. Like that, getting the schedules together to make it something like, so I don't necessarily i feel bad that it doesn't happen right but i don't feel like i'm offending him right by not being able to he knows how difficult all this is and but well we should we should make uh like a team training thing for sure um he's a handful have you rolled with devin before no i've I've seen him in action um like like one time i think we were both at port city at the same time and I really liked his game. His style's cool, and he's obviously super good. And for some reason, even though I—I I mean, obviously, I haven't seen his trajectory, but it kind of strikes me as someone who is just such a natural in jujitsu. So it's just cool to watch. Like he's, um, and he's not very big, right? He's not like no. He probably walks around at once. He might be in the. He's in the low one seventies, probably. Uh, he like the heaviest he'll ever get is one eighty. Yeah, and that's pretty rare oh. you know what i mean but he fights at 155 and never has mm-hmm. has to really worry about he never has to make like huge cuts yeah he's very diligent in that way he's never missed weight i really have an issue with people professionally that in the sport that don't are not able to make weight i think it's really disrespectful to people and Devin has never ever ever missed weight no and he's he's ran across some people that have though go ahead amanda yeah he- when people don't make weight for him, he messes them up. Yeah. Yeah. Remember that elbow? Remember the, yeah, the guy yeah. that was off by 13 pounds. Oh, he was pissed that fuel 40 stitches in his face. Mm-hmm. He ruined that dude's face for oh, sure. Oh, man. Like, that was hard to watch. He was talking to himself before we went to the ring. Devin was. Yeah, he was oh, like, yeah. like, like, just yeah. like pissed off, like mumbling to himself. I'm like... Adam's like, should somebody talk to him? I'm like, we're good here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, just let it go. Like, we're good. We're just going to let him be. Like before fights, there are two kinds of people. Um, some people are nervous and they're like contemplative. And uh, I, I usually find that that's not a good way to go into a street fight. No. Uh, but the other people that look like lions that are about to be let out of a cage and they're like, they stalk. And that's... You just let them be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's where we need to be, and we're just gonna we're gonna let it we're gonna let it go. Zach is that way. Oh man, mm. he's a rare bird. <laughs> he is a rare. 
I heard he got in trouble the other night for kicking the heavy bag too hard. Yeah. Oh, man, the guy guy? at the club was like, (laughs) had to come talk to him a couple times. Was it the owner? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, but it's funny because I've never had a weird interaction with that guy ever. Like, I'm surprised that he would be mad. But he was mad and like told him like I guess he had headphones on or something. And then he came back uh, again. He was like, "I told you, man, if we're gonna have a problem, maybe this isn't the gym for you." And I was uh, like, "Come on, man, take a deep breath. <laughs> take a deep breath." Right. Like, but at the same time, I'm like, "He told him once, right?" I'm like, "Come on, yeah, man, seriously, like, we're in the midst of a negotiation, right? Here. Right? Uh, it's like a Tommy Boy situation." I was like, "Yeah, I know." Uh, Maybe Tommy's going to sell, you know, 50,000 brake pads. I don't know. but Exactly. <laughs> what was the name of the brake pad? Uh, was it Callahan like, Auto. Callahan, Callahan Auto. Um, so on another recent adventure, we went, Mr. Mansfield and the Laws, we went down to Manchester, Connecticut for Black Belts for Butterflies. Life-changing. Was it? It was for so me. So we've been before. I was curious as to what you thought about it. Uh, it was an amazing experience in which I felt that, uh, you know, beyond the, first of all, the connection to the cause was a big one that made me feel really good um, because we do this thing all the time. Like jujitsu is like so much of it is about, I'm not saying entirely because we understand the concept of community, right? But uh, so much is about me and my development and like where's my game and how do I get better and like it's very internalized and this was an opportunity and, and um, a lot of amazing people came together both to take the seminar and to teach the seminar of people that just wanted a way to use jujitsu to give back to a good cause and that was like really uh, it was very humbling to be part of that to be in a room with so many great people and but also to be in a room with people that had, had experienced so much pain there's a lot of pain that people are trying to overcome and and deal with and rise above and live with. Um, but and then, you know, but a really powerful thing is to be just in the room with so many great jujitsu people. Like not I don't mean like necessarily good technical people, but there was tons and tons of that. You know, usually where I go places not to be a dick, but like I'm one of the higher ranking guys. I was not the most higher ranking guy and there was at least five or six other third degree black belts there. <laughs> like impressive ones. You know what I mean? You know, uh, Michelle Wagner, um, the Christian 13th, Woodmancy. I think she was the 13th female, female to get a black belt, to get a black belt in America. Belt. In America. Uh, uh. Amazing. Christian Woodmancy, like I love his, like we have, he weighs 120 pounds and we have right? the same game, which is really <laughs> weird. Um, James Foster, 300. Bryant Pangelinen, um, you know, those guys are like, you know, people that, 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 uh, they're, they're friends, like Bryant and James are both on the show your old team. You know what I mean? So, but to spend time with them and like get to know those guys a little bit better and like, they're really good people. Like you view these people as competitive monsters and, but then you get to know them and they're some of the best people you've ever met. I mean, those two dudes are two of the best people Solid around. gold. Both yeah. of those guys are solid gold. For like, sure. you talk to James Foster, you're like, I hope he doesn't eat me. <laughs> you know what I mean? But he's the nicest guy you will ever encounter in jiu-jitsu, and he's, he's soft-spoken. Uh, he's not aggressive. He's 
but he's a monster. He's like literally, he is more than twice your size, Fred. I'm pretty sure that you could add Amanda, myself, and Andrea together, and we would not equal one James Foster. By definition, no. no. I don't think. Uh-huh. By definition, no. Yeah. Uh, and Bryant was the same way. Bryant was just the nicest guy, and we've we've had some interaction in the in in the interim, and like just. Easy to talk to, very good guy. Like the the baseline of who he is is a good person, with or without jujitsu. So that was really awesome, and uh, you know, to just to see how anybody who runs an organization like that, um, and to see how passionate they are. So to watch how passionate Rich is about black belts for butterflies and about what he's created. Like he doesn't give himself any credit for creating this thing and and developing it. Like he gives himself zero credit, but he's the founder of the feast and catalyst, not, the catalyst mm-hmm. for what has become a, a a very important selfless. He's not going to ever be rich doing this. He makes no money. He does it for the good of humanity. I and believe he invests a lot of time oh, in yeah. doing it, and a lot. I'm sure it's a lot of stress. Like, if for anybody out there that's ever put on a seminar with one person, you know, to come in and teach, it's stressful. He <laughs> has six or more. It was more. It was eight uh, instructors. Was it two and two? Yeah, it was yeah. eight instructors. He two. from yeah. coming from all over the country, right? you know, plus however many people show up. Like, that's a stressful. I can't imagine the stress he's got to deal with to put that together. Yep. Um I think he's raised, you know, he will say we, and it's true, it has become a we thing, but as a direct result of him starting it, I think there's been over $100,000 raised for autism, you know, awareness, awareness. And support, and support, and also for the um, the victims of Sandy Hook. Right, yeah. right. Um, Do people know uh, what Black Belts for Butterflies is? No. Maybe. Well, maybe. I think people do know, but let's talk. So Black Belts for Butterflies is the thing. It started Rich McKeegan, brown belt, one of the best dudes around, started this. He His son was born, I think, on the same day that Sandy Hook, the Sandy Hook massacre happened in right. Connecticut. And... It struck him so much, and I understand where he's coming from for Trying sure. Trying to balance that, right? That, um, right? That because he's like on the best day of his life was also one of the worst days, and so he started out. He's like, I got to do something, and he made a patch. He made a patch, I think, that was like support Sandy Hook or something. Right. And I'm going to sell this patch, and then I'm going to take the money, and I'm going to give it to the victims' families, yeah. and and then it it is trans formed into and then he's like next thing i'm going to do a seminar and robert defranco or james foster love that guy dude robert defranco is a great shout out great dude to rob defranco right. from dallas texas from dallas texas we're gonna and and uh black belts for butterflies next year in the fall is gonna and you this year Aaron fucking t will be there right yeah. uh somehow we got to find a way to get there so then it turns into a seminar right where where he does the seminar to raise money and then it becomes and I don't know how he then he becomes he met one of the fathers of a child who died in this thing and this guy Ian Hockley he was there this past weekend he comes 
And uh, just thinking about this guy literally makes me almost start crying. He's got a picture uh, of his kid. He comes with a picture of his kid, and the, and he was he had autism. His son had autism. Like this is like the most adorable child I have ever seen in my entire right. life. Um, it's crazy. It's deep. I mean, it's heavy. It's it's everything. It's all these things. And so now the money goes to a thing called like I think it's called Wingmen. Mm-hmm. Dylan's Wings of Change, Wingmen. And it basically is money and whatever I say won't do it justice totally, but it's basically money the money that's raised goes to help kids with autism, you know, get into arts programs and stuff like that. Um it's amazing. And then and so throughout the 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 time, you know, there's there's jujitsu instruction but then people speak amanda spoke last year people who have either have children with autism or or have have been affected somehow somehow uh will speak and that one that one gets you too Mm -hmm. you know like there's there's uh like about the struggles that people with autism autistic kids they're they're you know it's it's unbelievable and I, I mean, I'll cry three or four times during these things. And, and this time it was uh, Pacinelli. I forget his first name. Um, Abby Pacinelli's husband. Husband, yeah. Um, this dude was talking about one of his sons. And man, afterwards I was like, dude, you just killed me. Like I was, I was, uh, it was like, <laughs> it's crazy. You know, a man like Amanda talking about her brother last year. And people go up and bear their you know soul that's the idea about. part of the idea of that of that weekend is kind of like just just be you and just be kind of part of the event and let thing let the cards fall where they may right like nobody's like trying to be tough like nobody's trying to be tough first mm-hmm. of all you're in a room with 100 people like 30 black belts you know luigi mondelli's there <laughs> Right. Like a bunch of like high level guys, like you know, there's no point in puffing your chest out. Yeah. Um, but so you just kind of su- submit to the moment, you know what I mean, and kind of just enjoy the weekend, and it was pretty incredible. Um, so the the this thing, Rich McKeegan tells this story about like uh, he met Charles Mask Lewis one time, mm-hmm. but right before he died, and. Uh, and Charles Mask Lewis has this saying that he said, or quote, I guess. And it's like, I may not be the guy who touches a million people, but I might be the guy who touches the guy that touches a million people or whatever. Um, and that's kind of how this thing is. Like, it started with one little thing, and it's like, you know, the butterfly, the ripple effect or whatever. Right. Um, and And the first time we went, like changed me for sure. Mm. This one, every you know, they both, they all do. So this happened. This this is this is what happens to me. Initially, George, like I would, you know, I'd go home and George would take all these trips, and I'd be like, he's like, you want to come down to New York? And I'm like, dude, there's no way I'm going to New York this weekend. And he would do these trips, and like this one in particular, he'd be like, he'd come back, and I was getting pretty damn sick of like hearing these awesome stories about these experiences George would have. And he came back. He's like, dude, 
I just did the seminar. It was amazing and life-changing. I just traveled all over New York City with these firefighters that were there yeah. during 9-11, and I saw this stuff, and I met these guys. It was like the greatest weekend of my life. I'm like, that's it. I'm in. <laughs> like, But the only way you get to kind of experiencing these things is to like, like everyone's tired on Friday. You know what I mean? They don't yeah. want to. I don't want to sign up for going away for a weekend and like, uh, it's so tiring. I could just sit at home, play with my dog, and you know, look at my pretty wife and lay on my couch. You know what I mean? But now I can't do it. Like I'm now that I am aware of what's happening, I can't do it. I have to kind of like pull my bootstraps up and get on the road with George. And yeah, and, it's know. like you got to. I mean, I you know everybody can do whatever they want to do, and but. It's nothing wrong All, with your couch. Yeah, like I mean, but if you want to, if you want to have some mind blowing experiences, they're there to be had. There's people ready to like, just like that. Like you brought up the New York City. That was a we defy thing yeah. that, uh, man, we just stumbled into, right? And like, I was like, you want to go to? Like, I saw, I knew we met, we knew Brian Marvin, and I saw he was in New York. I was like, what? Do you, I told him, man, I was like, you want to go to New York and like. Go see Brian Marvin. I think she thinks I'm crazy at first when I bring these things up, but she you went. are pretty crazy. And then, like, so we're down there in in New York's on Long Island, Ronkonkoma, uh, with Brian Marvin and Alan Shabaro. and uh, and then like Amanda was like, "Hey, these guys want to know if you want to go on a boat ride." And I was like, "I don't know." Like, I was like, "I don't know if I want." She's like, "Let's go on the boat ride." I was like, "All right." Like, I didn't know anything about this boat ride. Next thing you know, we're in some New York City fire. Um, Go ahead, Andrea. In Statue of Liberty. We saw the Statue of Liberty. On the <laughs> we did. So next thing you know, awesome. we're on a van going into Manhattan with these New York City firemen and dudes that have been through 9-11 and we're in the fire station, like right at ground zero, basically, like the next one over where every single person who went out didn't come back. Yeah. And their names are still on the wall. Mm. And you see that and you're like, whoa. Like, I get chills just even thinking about it. Like, I'm mm. like standing in here like, wow. Like, holy ground. And they're taking us out into the river on a New York City fire boat looking at the Statue of Liberty. And that just happened because we were like, yeah, let's do it. All yeah. right. Let's do it. Because you, you know? said yes. Because I said yes. You were a yes man. And then yeah. I was almost like, I was almost like, nah, let's just go back to the hotel. And Amanda's like, let's do it. I was like, all right, let's do it. Next thing you know, we're doing this crate. And now we see those people everywhere. Same yeah. with, so Black Belts for Butterflies is the same thing. Like, and that's kind of how we got rop- roped into, like, we're now a We Defy Academy. Yeah. And, like, you know, we're involved. And now in a couple weeks, are you going to come to the We Defy seminar? No, I'm leaving. Oh, that's right. Yeah. You're going to be gone. Yeah. You don't support our troops at all, or like, you really don't care about PTSD. And <laughs> he's going. Uh, he's going. To, <laughs> he's like Whedon. Hey, bro, that's your military. Yeah. <laughs> we don't get into fights every day. <laughs> we haven't been to war uh, since Napoleon, right? The Swedes. Yep. So yeah, neutral. I think it's really <laughs> yeah. funny that uh, the. The Arc de Triomphe is like just sitting there and like nobody, like it's like still like a national monument type thing where yeah. like you go, it's really weird. Tell me about the Arc because I don't know about it. I, I mean, ne- I know what it is because it's a tour de France, but like. Right, but Napoleon built this or it was built in, in to to represent his victory in France, right? Ah. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> I actually don't know. Tell us, yeah. James. Oh, yeah, you tell us. me. Yeah. It's, well, now I feel like. Oh, I'm we're going to Google. Gonna, yeah, we're going to Google. This is in it. your wheelhouse, right? 
What do you mean? Jay was You're an art a, history major. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've heard. Little known fact. Yeah. Jay Mansfield. Yeah. Art historian. Mm-hmm. Right. That's right. You should have became an art forger. <laughs> yeah. That would have been way cooler. Uh, I'm actually really good at copies. I bet you are. <laughs> I can, I can, can you? Do, yeah, really well. That's awesome. Um, do you paint? Uh, I do. I uh, But I paint. If I paint, it's acrylic. I don't do oil paint. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I dra- I can draft a lot like graphite on, oh, cool. you know what I mean? Dude. Yeah. And, uh, I can sculpt a little bit, although my wife's a better sculptor. Mm. My wife's an amazing photographer. Uh-huh. Oh. Uh, and she's a, probably a better painter than I am. Um, but yeah, I'm like great with graphite and I'm good with, I, I, I mean, I'm not great. Um, but, um, and then I acrylic paint, you know mm. what I mean? My photography is garbage for every 200 pictures I take. There might be one that's good. But I think that's a lot of photographers. That's so. normal, yeah. right? Yeah. But it seems like everything that my wife takes a picture of is awesome. Huh. That's cool. Yeah. Do you paint now? I've been. I have like a million ideas in my brain, and I've been thinking about it a lot. I haven't been for a long time. Like I haven't done anything. Like if you saw, it, like so, my notebooks are only a purpose for me. Like I make lists because if I make a list, I don't look at it again, but I commit it to memory by writing it down. So I doodle a lot. So if you looked at my notebook, it's all full of like all these really weird pictures. Like I was on a long con call the other day and I don't realize what I'm doing. I go kind of subconscious when I'm on a conference call. Like I'll find my television controller in the refrigerator afterwards. (laughs) Like I will have like carried it and like I'll mute the TV. I'm changing the channel. I'm like kind of listening, but I'm also watching and I'll like go to the fridge for something and I'll put the controller down and like grab my iced coffee and then shut the door and walk away. <laughs> uh, and then I'm like, where the fuck is the television controller? And like there's things all over the house. Like if I lose my phone, it's like really weird. Like it will be in a very, very strange spot. Uh-huh. So um, I doodle these things and I like look back. I was like looking back at the notes and I hadn't even remembered that I had done this. But I want you to picture like kind of like a uh, – have you ever seen the um, – in art classes, they always have these little wooden figures that you can kind of like put in a position so you can understand the way the body moves so that you can then draw it. Yeah. So it was a very rough drawing like that. It kind of – it was like just really kind of a mapped out, but it was – I had captured the perspective really well of <laughs> a guy swinging a sledgehammer kind of like a golf club like an uppercut swing yeah and getting this guy like right underneath the jaw <laughs> and i was like hey that's pretty good yeah that's pretty good that's um cool. so i haven't so that's really weird but yeah um so i haven't done it in in a while but i have all these ideas in my brain of what i want to do do you draw people mostly uh no 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 i can i i understand that pretty well like i can recapture uh especially at a macro level like body positioning and like yeah the little details that make like kind of your uh your posture or your 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 mood yeah based on how you're sitting and how your sit bones or like how your shoulders yeah and like you know what i mean i can capture that yeah uh finishing is a little bit tough with people like capturing their personality is really something that's really mm-hmm. really really yeah. hard yeah uh, but I like landscapes. I paint. What if I'm painting? It's mostly landscapes and yeah. abstract stuff, like really weird. I like to look at things differently. That's cool. What do you have in your house? Like on your walls? Um, we have a lot of photography, uh-huh. stuff that we've taken ourselves. Oh, um, cool. We have a couple of Picassos, but they're not. 
uh, the early stuff. Yeah. Um, I like kind of, I don't like early Picasso because it's true classical. Mm-hmm. And I don't like late Picasso because I feel like he really rushed a lot of work. Um, uh, you know what I mean? He would he would get the general idea that which, that which was beautiful, but then he'd like finish really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I like the middle stuff. Um, I used to like Vincent quite a bit, but I've just looked at it too much. Yeah, uh, but yeah. the Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam was probably the most emotional art experience I've ever had in my yeah, life. Yeah, that's. Uh... Uh, you can look at it, like things that I studied in a book for so long and like saw pictures of and like, you know what I mean? Whether it was his self portrait or whether it was the sunflowers or, and you go there and then you can see the buildup of oil mm-hmm. on the palette, like on the canvas, like the oil that is now dried that like, um, kind of like a coffee colored oil that's in the paint in the oil paint that had dried kind of in the creases of his brush strokes was like, I can't believe I'm seeing this right now. And it was mm. like one of the few things in my life actually that really sinks in. Like yeah. I have a, like making my heart rate change is like a very difficult thing. I'm emotional about a lot of things, but like I could go skydiving every day and my brain rationalizes what's happening. and I don't feel unsafe. Right. So I don't get all that excited about that kind of thing. If that makes at all, any, any sense at all. Yeah. Like I don't get really, uh, or like, uh, you know what I mean? Like, it just doesn't, it doesn't raise my blood pressure. Yeah. Uh, but that was affected me in a very deep way. I was like really emotional about going to that museum. Yeah. Versus something like the Louvre, which is, in my opinion, the most overrated museum. I mean, if you go there for historical purposes, it's one thing. But if you're going there to enjoy good art, it's like the wrong place to go. It's hard. It's like the mall of. Um art museums or it's there's too much i i feel like moma in new york is the same yeah way. it's just there's, there's too much it's too much too and people. it's like the most amazing collection of portraits of dead aristocrats <laughs> huh. you know what i mean it's like i don't care like looking at the mona lisa is not this incredible thing to me mm. i'm like it's 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 a it's a technically inferior work by a guy that did so much stuff that was more interesting. But if you go to like uh, the Musée d'Orsay as an example, there's like stuff that will blow your mind or the, like I was saying the de Cordova museum, if you go there, like, which is 40 minutes that way, there's amazing stuff that will blow your mind. Like that will take the average person who's not into art and say that this is amazing. What I'm looking at is amazing. If you, the average person that goes to the Louvre, suffers through an entire day or more than one day of walking up and down these halls of being bored out of their minds but makes themselves do it because they think that they're experiencing some cultural revolution of art when they're not like first of all why do you put yourself through that in the first place why would you do that and second of all it's not it's not it's a good it's a history lesson the Louvre is a history lesson but it's not a this great example of art. It's just not. So the Arc de Triomphe, um, I also looked it up. It's, it honors those who fought and died for France in the French Revolutionary and Napoleonic Wars. So it's kind of right. But also, I think if you go down, it says that it was, it was commissioned in 1806 after the victory at Austerlitz by Emperor Napoleon at the peak of his fortunes. 
Well, there you go. So there you go. Um, I gotta go. I love you guys. <laughs> I really I'm do. Just gonna wrap at this moment. Like at the- <laughs> I've had enough though. Um, right. I gotta go spend time with my wife and child on Mother's Day. Um, oh wait. Fred, we got to call your mom. Oh yeah. Oh, can, can we, we do that? Can you put her on speaker and like I, keep it close to the? Uh, <laughs> what time? What time is it? Al, it's no, I can't. It's is, uh, is it like midnight. Six. Yeah, it says six hours ahead. So it's oh, uh, it's ten forty. Ten forty. She'll be fast asleep. Ma Mayton is out. Yeah. What's your mother's name? Eva. Eva. Yeah. Yeah. You look confused, but you said just, it right. All right. Well, <laughs> that's my normal look. Confusion. Um, I just, you know, I expected something a little more harder for me to say. Like, nope. No, no. However you say, um, Swedish Steve's gym, I can't do it. You know, it's not just Poseidon. It it's is. Poseidon camper something, you know. Oh, yeah. It's, what is it? Uh, camp spot something. Yeah. Martial arts. Something. Oh, is that right? what it means? Camp spot. Yeah, uh, I think that's what it is. Um, yeah. Um, so my normal my normal look is that of confusion. <laughs> so Jay is teaching a seminar in a couple of weeks here for We Defy, right? That's right. One of our with Brian Marvin, one of our favorite humans at uh, Mike Pellegrino and Nate Ryan's Academy, Mass BJJ in Arlington, Mass. Yeah. Um, and so if people don't know about We Defy, that is a charity that um, supports combat wounded veterans doing jujitsu. Right. So the idea is that they, these guys come back from, um, you know, doing their their duty. And uh, a lot of these guys have, you know, pretty bad, you know, PTSD and post-traumatic stress associated with what the, you know, what they experience in in the process of of defending our country, and so what really helps these guys is you know there, there's a real sense of unity and unit and family when they're when they're serving, and so when they come back, it's uh, difficult to replace that. And as we all know, jujitsu is a great way to kind of get them back into a situation where they kind of experience that unit and that family and that trust. So literally 100% of the proceeds of a Weedify seminar like this one go towards sponsoring one of these guys that is coming back from active duty who needs this um, to kind of get like a jujitsu scholarship so that he can kind of get back in that environment. And this literally saves people's lives. Mm -hmm. It takes people that are suicidal, that are massively depressed, that experience like terrible, terrible um, byproducts of PTSD and and kind of plugs them into the jujitsu world and as we all know it's a life changer. Yeah, I mean there's this common thread between uh, a lot of the things we said where jujitsu has the ability to foster a community that can then do good in uh, in a wider community like uh, black uh, black belts for butterflies and we defy. They're both based on. The community that's forged in in jujitsu, which is a really strong and like healthy one, that then can kind of right. be exported even to the mugglers. So, <laughs> you know. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> it is kind of true. Yeah, I feel though that uh, we didn't. I didn't get everything I needed from Fred in this podcast. No, we're gonna do it again. We're gonna have to do uh, this again. We're definitely gonna do it again. So, also, if you guys want to hear more from Fred, you could go listen to Stray the Course. Um, there's a lot of that a was directly of, Fred 
yeah. and you learn a lot there. Yeah. Andy I and I <laughs> talking to my friend Fred about his book because we didn't. Yeah. I mean, he's written a book. He's done a lot of things. Um, you wrote a book. I did. Book? What was yeah. it about? <laughs> it's uh, um, about an electric grid. It's the history of an electric grid that was built, the first one ever that was built in Palestine between World War One and Two. Nonfiction. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, also, uh, they have electricity in Palestine. They do. I was do now. Yeah. You know what I've? You know, <laughs> I heard they have indoor plumbing in Vermont. This is like a new thing for me. So it's like, <laughs> that's, that's new in Vermont. Yeah. <laughs> I think I feel like we did that podcast last time, and then after we did it, you told me like you almost became like a fiction writer of crime. Mm-hmm. Is this true? Yeah, that's not just in my head. No, no, All it's right. true. Yeah, I, I told you like that. The, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I uh, uh, when I was uh, um, the job market for academic historians isn't great, so there's usually hundreds of applicants for each job, and so at some point. I got this postdoc after I finished a dissertation and I was in Chicago and I put money away and I got a grant. And so I was able to put away some money. And, um, and so I devised this plan B that if I didn't get an academic job, I would uh, move to Berlin and I would write a spy novel. Which is awesome. That's that awesome. Was, that was yeah. my plan Have B. you written some of it? Uh, I have the story. Uh, and so I've... Uh, and I have some sort of bits and pieces, but yeah. dude, but but I dude, I, right? but I got a job, so yeah. uh, that I, sucks. Can we read any of it? Would you ever share it? <laughs> I don't have enough to share yet, but yeah, we um, got to start working on this, Fred. This summer, like James Bond type stuff. Yeah, it's, oh my uh, god, yeah, that sounds yeah. awesome. It's it's uh, set in the seventies, which is the best decade, I think, the nineteen seventies, um, and and it's about. Uh, these kind of left-wing kind of extremist environments that are kind of globe-spanning. I mean, you have these like weird things where like Japanese leftist radicals carry out suicide missions on behalf of the Palestinian Liberation Front or whatever. And um, it's it's really wacky and it's all hold, held together by this kind of vague, strange form of Marxism um, wow! And it generates all this kind of violence and and all these kind of ideological battles. Um, so yeah, uh, and you know the Bader Meinhof gang in in Germany and stuff. I don't know so, about this gang. But. Yeah, no. It, well, it's a uh, super fascinating stuff. They're yeah. all just a leftist group that they had this idea that if they carried out brutal acts of violence against civilians in Germany. Uh, the they would force the the capitalist state apparatus to respond with excessive force, which would reveal the basic brutality and fascism of of the state that was that was hidden behind a mask of freedom and democracy and and free markets. Yeah, this is uh, sounds strangely familiar, like kind of like, like happening now. Happening, it sounds like, like different people. Well, it sounds like our country, to be honest. <laughs> Man. I'm just saying, like, right? no. like you know what I mean? It's a, it's amazing because uh, it's a tumultuous time right now in the United. It States is, and this is the most disconnected that uh, the public has ever been from the government. Like we are, like there's a real feeling that we are disconnected from the decisions that get made. That it's not a democracy anymore. That our 
our vote and our opinions don't count anymore and they're just going to do whatever it is that they want to do and that's that's what they're going to make happen it kind of feels that way don't you think yeah and also i think the biggest ever disconnect between different groups of people that they don't share news sources they don't share facts just basic understandings of what's going on right are so different that um, so different. Yeah. We're so good at separating ourselves yeah. and not unifying like concept of Republican or Democrat or male or female or lesbian or, you know, or homosexual Sport or straight. Or self-defense. Sport. <laughs> Gee or no Street gi. or no gi. Heel hook or no. Yeah. yeah. Think right. street. Yeah. Think street, train, sport, practice the art. Right. Boom. Um, so, yeah, I feel like. I think that so Fred's going to visit Swedish Steve next week, mm-hmm. yeah. and then I think Swedish Steve is going to be out here in a month. Like, oh, yeah, he's coming. Nice. Like he's going to uh, he's going to the Globetrotters, and then him and his kid are doing a road trip. Like, and I was like, dude, you got to come to Portsmouth. He should come. For Maybe the we'll Monday. have an all Swedish um, <laughs> podcast. Yeah, if that. we can change the name to the Great Swedish BJJ Podcast. Right. I'm all for it, other than the Swedish gummy candy that I cannot stand behind. Well, we have still have Swedish fish. Yeah. Those are good. Yeah. And, and they have a lot uh, of flavor. Swedish Dumle. Fish. Yeah, I like them. Dumle is really Dumle. good. Dumle. It's good stuff. What is that? Um, it's like a chocolate-covered um, like toffee-type thing. That sounds right? amazing. Yeah, it's good. Gets in your teeth. It's really, it is really good. That's the best part. I think you had. <laughs> oh, you might have been like. And that whoopie pie, it. that whoopie pie. Getting it. Speaking of getting in your teeth, like what oh, yeah. the hell? Like, yeah. That's a, that's a, you know, that's one. You know, there's positives and negatives to everything. Yeah. Whoopie pies are you know it's just like anything else. Yeah, I feel like it's a misnomer. <laughs> 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 Could be. <laughs> Swedish Fred, thanks, man. Yeah, always good her. to have. Uh, you come on and uh, bring well, the level up. <laughs> um, so I got to tell you, though, that we were talking earlier about like how badly and long overdue it is for us to go and interview George. Oh, boy. Yeah. So yeah. if you would like to come back on the next episode, literally <laughs> yeah. interview George with me. I do want oh, to. Man. Yeah. We can do that. I have so many questions. Me too. Yeah. Deep. Like how George woke up in a jail in florida <laughs> i don't that's not exactly inaccurate it's not exactly true uh i've heard untrue? I've, I've, I've i've i'm not in florida where did you you At lynn you, it's happened in lynn for sure you your city of sin partying party, you were partying in new hampshire and you woke up in a jail somewhere far away uh oh i mean i've woke up in places far away <laughs> I mean, I've ended. See what I mean? Like you have I should to say, I've ended up in places far away. You know what I mean? In how many states uh, of the union have you been detained? Oh man, not that many. Not as many as it sounds. More than five. This. Yeah. In more than ten percent. No, no, no. Ten percent would be five, right? Yeah. Have you been two in five two different or three. Two or states? Three. That's a lot. No. New Hampshire, well, New Hampshire, Mass. You're not Utah, including. For sure. uh, uh, oh no, the uh, the Canadian situation is not a Canadian situation, as it were. No, it's, it's, uh, it's a re- yeah. That's that's an international incident, really. That's like <laughs> beyond my. Um, George George is not allowed to go to Canada. Uh, Liter- the literally. only country. I'm pretty sure any other country will have me. Yeah. I could, if I was willing to put in some effort, I could visit Canada. 
<laughs> but I'm not willing to put in that kind of effort yeah. for Canada. It's not oh, worth it. I don't think so. Yeah, it's like watered down America. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like the the I think the parts that draw like I'd like to see Montreal. I mean, Montreal will probably be nice, but I think it's nice because of the European. Um, well, so why not just go to Europe? Yeah, better just to go to Europe. Right? I think. Yeah, that's what I determined once. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. yeah. What, well, Fred? You're welcome back on this podcast anytime. Thanks. I I I like Fred as like a frequent guest mm-hmm. on the podcast. That would be really good. I'll be back. Nice. I'll be back. I'll be back. <laughs> Everybody, thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. First time in a long time. Getting back in the barn. Many more to come. Pan Am silver medalist Jay Mansfield, yeah. black belt the professor George Law, and, and the Swede, the Swede professor, sweet, 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 sweet. Also known as the voice of reason, yeah, the voice of reason. <laughs> you know what Andy called me on the podcast we did, the butcher of words. <laughs> That's right, wow. George, the butcher. And I'm not. It's not inaccurate. No, it's not. I used a word today in, in at jujitsu that I don't think existed, and I can't remember what it was at the moment, but perpendicularity. That's not a word. I don't believe yeah. it is. Yeah. But somebody thought it was. They were like, oh, oh, Troy was like, good use of words. I was like, I don't know if that's really a word. You know who's amazing at doing this? Uh, Russell Brand will turn nouns into verbs like you realize, like, and, but he makes it sound like he's a very verbose type of verbose is not the right word right no it is but he uh he is um he makes it seem like it's it's legit i'm with him yeah it's pretty also thanks to amanda the pied piper of women's bjj and in southeastern new hampshire mother extraordinaire mother mother's day legend he was, Legend of Mothers. Now, now I remember what he was saying. He was like, he was discuss, talking to Joe Rogan about exploring his mind, and he's like, "Mr. Joe Rogan, you like, uh, very invested in all these cosmonautive style <laughs> uh, investigations of your psyche." And I'm like, I'm pretty sure cosmonautive is not a word, uh, but I know what he's saying. But I know what he's saying, and <laughs> yeah. it comes off as you know, this is le- legit, hundred percent. But that is not a word. It's the British accent. It yeah. makes everything yeah. sound yeah, it's legitimate. Nothing works as well on Americans as the British accent. You can see any, like, no matter how dumb it is, if it's said in a British accent. It, it gets us every time. Yeah. And no matter how smart it is, if you say it in a New York accident, accent, yeah. it comes off yeah. sounding stupid. Yeah. I've noticed that there's a lot of Australian accents on YouTube, uh, um, like the ads on YouTube. Yep. You know, like they'll hit me with the ad up, and it's like, a person in an Australian, you know, accent trying to sell me um, how to like make how to learn how to do marketing or something. Or Aussie man, yeah, <laughs> that yeah, guy is that hysterical. Guy. Yeah, that guy is hysterical. Um, and that works on you? It doesn't actually. Yeah. I don't buy it. I've known a lot of Aussie people. Uh, don't buy it at all. Uh, I feel like advertising in general doesn't work on me. It doesn't. I don't think it works on. I mean, maybe older people. Like, I think it works on me for sure. You know, I want all this stuff. I mean, I like stuff too, but I like stuff based on what I want. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'll investigate on my own. Yeah. Like I never have this feeling that I want to go get Taco Bell after I watch a Taco Bell commercial. Right. 
Buy Tortuga soap, Fred. Buy Tortuga soap, Fred. Yeah. You do not Buy. want to sell oh, me working. death sticks. Tortuga soap. <laughs> I have a Tortuga um, t-shirt now. Yes. So, yeah. Nice. Yes. Yeah. Shout out to Amanda with yep. the t-shirt. That was amazing. T-shirt yeah. maker. That was really awesome. It was a donation, Amanda. I speak for Amanda. It was a donation. But she made the effort. She made the effort. She made the effort. She made the effort. She made it happen. All right, kids. Thanks for listening. That's a wrap. Be good to yourselves out there, people. Keep the faith. Thanks, Fast Freddy. Fred, how do you say adios in Swedish? Adios. Sprechensy what? Sp- Spanish is the same in Swedish as it is in English. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's what? So <laughs> it's Spanish. How, how, how about, do you mean to say how do you say goodbye in Swedish? Yeah, well, you say goodbye. It's the same thing. English is the same in Swedish, too. Well, no. Yeah, but you say goodbye, George. Goodbye, Thank George. You goodbye. <laughs> goodbye, George. <laughs>